welcome to Game Brain, a board game podcast with Matthew Robinson and his gaming group. But I am not Matt Robinson. I'm Tom Donnelly, and Maddie's taking the family growth action for the next couple months, <laughs> leaving the rest of us to gather wood on our own. Other than a different voice greeting you, you should expect no differences to the podcast. After all, our format is about a gaming group, and the great thing is, is that when, per- when one person's unavailable for a game, as they say, the game still goes on. And we'll do our mis- best to make sure that the juice is worth the squeeze. That was an amazing improv. Thank you. Oh. <laughs> Thank you. You're so great. So as you can, as you can hear, uh, this is the beginning of a new round. And whenever we do the beginning of a new round, oh, the peanut gallery is here. What, what round is it, Tom? This is round three. Turn no. one. Four. Is it round four? four? No, Definitely four. four. Yeah. Oh, I guess it must be. Yeah. Round four. Turn one. Beg your pardon. Ah. Wow. Uh, Round four, turn one. Uh, the <laughs> rough take two. Funny, funny jokes. But uh, rough start. Try. <laughs> uh, so this round's theme is old school. We're going to be going back in time. We're going to be talking about the games that shaped us, uh, moments that we never forget in gaming, and generally reminisce about how games in our lives have intersected. And as I usual, did that episode, by the way, what I did that episode in my in the first round. That's fine. Is that the one you I think cried? I think you've done it. In no, that was, that was that was in round two. In I think you pretty much did that in every episode, didn't you, Jesse? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of his thing. Yeah. That's your go-to. I'll try to bring it. That's your go-to. Now we're gonna now we're gonna share. Good luck the, with the Jesse episode. Share the love. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and while we're on that topic, as can you cry? Can you cry? Yeah. Now? I just did. I literally just did. Oh my literally god! No, he cried, folks. God. So uh, yeah, we're gonna be we're gonna be talking about that, except for Dimitri, of course, who is going to, to talk for a half hour nonstop about something that is either genius or madness. And you can't tell which. No, I think we I, we we. <laughs> I can't. I think we can tell which. I think we can tell which. As per usual, what we do right now is we determine turn order for the next round. Last time we rolled some dice. This time we're gonna be doing it by card draw. I have in front of me a deck of cards for the game. The mind. Are we going to play the mind, or are we just going to? We are not going to play the mind. These, uh, that would not be good radio, considering what it is an absolutely Tom? silent game. <laughs> the mind has cards numbered one to one hundred. What we are going to do is everybody is going to be able to pick cards because Jake and Jesse were the last ones to go in this episode. In this last turn, they are going to draw one card each. Of course, Jake and Elder are not here with us, so somebody will draw for them. Dimitri and Paul will draw two cards each, and Trey and Elder will draw three cards each. Whoever has the highest card will be the first to go, and we'll make it interesting. If you do not like your highest card, we will allow you to discard it and draw one more. That's broken. I only get one card. Yeah, I'm just saying that Paul, being the degenerate gambler that he is... <laughs> He's going to draw something in the 70s, and he's going to redraw. So racist. No, we're going to, we're going to draw well, in that order. I'm not drawing at all, because we've already recorded my episode. Yes, Matt is uh, about to go to Babyland, as we described, and uh, therefore he is already recorded as the first of this next So episode. we already know, round four, turn one. It's your boy. It's amazing. Matty on the ones and twos. All right, here we go. Dimitri, you are the first one. Draw any card you want. Just face up or face down or what? Why'd you draw so many cards? Dimitri draws a 73. Dimitri, would you like to redraw? Well, it's kind of Yeah, he cut to it. So take your card. Are you keeping your card? I am keeping my card. 
He is keeping his card. Very well. Who is going to draw for Jake? Matt, why don't you draw for Jake? Just one. One card. 18. 18. Jake, would you like to redraw that? Jake's going to redraw that, and he withdraws 47. 47 is Jake's number. Are you assuming that it's it's better to have a higher number? Yes. Why? Well, it just means if you're going you earlier go in, the, in, in the episode order. Okay. That's I all. I don't want to go earlier. Okay. Well, then you can redraw for you something lower. Trade. You have agency. Next up is Trey. Oh, no, sorry, Dimitri already went. Jesse. Jesse draws one card. All right, let's go team top knot. Give me the card. I want to draw my own. You're feeding me. You've already stacked it. Dimitri, you should have drawn two cards, but we're going to leave you with a 73. 59. 59. That's, that's way, perfect. way too high for you. you that's, wanna, that's exactly where I want it. It's where you want to be? Yep. Done. All right. Next is Paul. Paul, draw two cards. <laughs> Two cards. 28. 82. I would like to Whoa. redraw. You'd like to redraw the 82? <laughs> 81. Oh! 81. Everyone, 81. It's not happy. Paul's number is 81. He gambled and he <laughs> lost? I don't know. We'll see. I don't know what that was at. Trey, three cards for yourself. Wait, so what's three your total? Cards, right? Three Paul. cards for you, sir. Can you do the card, math? The first card is no, 76. 76. The second card is 20. Third card is 48. 76 would put you second behind Paul right now. Second, actually, third. Because would be, which would be third because Matt's be already first. recorded. That's correct. I'll keep my 76 then. 76 is kept. Fantastic. And then, Matt, will you draw for Elder, please? I was trying to The first draw for Elder is 52. Second card is 7. The third card is 19. Elder would like to redraw. <laughs> what do we do, think, guys? Do we let, let me, take let me, the let me tell you something about the professor, all right? The professor knows the odds. And his highest card was, what, a 50 or something? 52. I think he redraws. That's what I think. Okay, so we, we ditched the 52. What, what can you, we can redraw your highest card, right? That's right. Yeah. Okay, so we're doing this. Elder, well, Elder, I apologize if you weren't going to do that, but I think you're going to redraw this. I thought you said the rule was you have to redraw your highest. Yeah, it doesn't matter. The, the highest counts anyway. All right, redrawing... Fourth card drawn for Elder is 55. <laughs> 55. All right. The redraws didn't do a whole lot, but there you go. It looks like the order is Matt, Paul, Trey, Dimitri. Dimitri, would you like Jesse, to trade? Jake, and uh, where was Elder? It's 55. No, sorry. Jake is last, and uh, Elder is next to last. Dimitri, would you like to trade? There you go. That is the order. That's what we got. Um, everybody, we're going to have ourselves... We're doing this at the beginning of our Friday night game night. We're going to have ourselves a great game night. And I look forward to talking to you all about old school gaming and our experiences. Thanks, everybody. Bye. And we'll be, back in, uh, we'll be back in just a second with Matt. And welcome back. We are here... This is a very odd situation. We are here with Matthew Robinson, the game enthusiast. Oh, it's so nice to be on the podcast. It's been, I mean, I only get to do this once every three months or so. <laughs> so it's nice to finally, finally be asked on the show, finally be a guest. Well, it's great to have you, Matt. How does it feel to be in the other chair? So relaxing. I don't, <laughs> are you just oh, box dude, farting what me? What was that sound? That was a box fart. Dude, this smells so bad. Wow. Oh, that's awful. <laughs> this is the tone you're setting uh, right off the bat. Okay, good to know. We're going to have a lot of fun. This is how it's going to be. We're uh, going to have a lot Very glad of you're fun. doing this. Thank you for doing this. Um, Monday or Tuesday will be my last game night 
at my office for a while. Ever. Um, I might sneak one in the next week and just, if you don't get invited, you know I, uh, how I feel about you. <laughs> You'll never know. Uh, but my, uh, my wife could have a baby any day. Any moment which now. I am finding myself very excited for. I've gotten into that phase now in the last couple of days where I'm having a hard time sleeping because I'm just excited. and It's fantastic. The second time around. Look, I have two. Yeah. You're, you're about to get your second. Our spacing is almost exactly the same. Yeah, about two years apart. Yeah. So the second one, you, I've never seen anything where I go from being a rank amateur that is worried yeah. about everything to mm-hmm. suddenly being worried about almost nothing. No, I, 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 well, I have one down. Like my wife and I were just saying the other day, like we have one child we have well we have one 20 month old down like well, we got it we got it down let's and let's two remember. is gonna be no i don't have two down at all like i'm every now everything i do i'm going the hell am i gonna do this with two like giving him a bath like the hell do i do two like putting him in the car i gotta do this with two putting him to sleep this is not gonna work like oh they, they have they have gone from being outnumbered to being your equal in, yeah in terms of numbers it's, yeah no, it's no. We're, we're man on man defense it's gonna be tough starting yeah, yeah any yeah. day now no more zone no more zone. That's over. Uh, yeah, it's going to be fun. You'll see. You'll I see. I can't we, wait. We're having a girl. I don't know nothing about girls. Oh boy. Yeah, I had a boy. We had a boy first. The girl second. It's going to be. It's going to yeah. be an. It's going to be like you ten years ago. It's crazy <laughs> in so many ways. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. Um, future is uh, it's looking pretty. Future's going to be bright. <laughs> future's going to be. Future's going to be bright. It's going to be awesome. It's great. You're in the teenage world. That's a different world. Yeah. You just watch, dude. I You're can't gonna, even imagine. That, that I'm amazed one, when my kid says, like, hot dog. You're not going to be worried about the second one. Yeah. All of the things you were worried about with the sure. first one, like, oh, he's going to fall. Oh, yeah, grab yeah, him. Yeah. Oh, grab. With the second one, she's going to be juggling steak knives in the yeah. kitchen, and you're going to be like, ah, <laughs> she's fun. I'm down. She's just the backup. I'm down. Just in case of cholera. Welcome to Kid Talk. Uh, well, let's move on. Why not? Let us go to uh, what we got to do here. I guess the first thing we talk about is... Uh, what happened at last week's game night? Mm-hmm. There's uh, a theme song for that. There is a theme song for that. Would you like to hear it? It is very, very topical <laughs> for the for the month. For the month. Here we go. I cannot tell you how much I love <laughs> the sting at the end of that. The, the, the game night at the end of that brings it all together. It's phenomenal. I, I, I kind of wish I want to put it out there that if people want to do other game night themes that are seasonal, you sure. know, the, the Thanksgiving one, yeah. the Christmas one, uh, even the our Croatian person who gave the, gave us this one. I think it's absolutely phenomenal. Awesome. Uh, game night. Matt's game night. Uh, we have not had Tom's game night tonight because we are recording a few hours before it right now because I have a doula coming in the morning tomorrow and I didn't want to wake up early after gaming all night. If you don't know what a doula is, congratulations. <laughs> it's a fantastic world you live in. Um yeah, so Matt's game night uh, started off, you were saying, oh, I think we're going to have nine or ten people yeah. there. And everybody, they dropped like flies this week. Yeah, yeah, we had a little little battle of the cholera or something. Something, yeah. We dropped down to five people, and uh, we, pulled out, we pulled out a big one. Mm. We pulled out Indonesia. We did. Splatter. So uh, in Indonesia, we'll, we'll get into it a little bit during my segment tonight. Okay. Uh, <laughs> because it's a relevant part of my board gaming story. But I will just say that Indonesia is a game that should not be in your collection if you are only going to play it once every two or three years. 
I think that's fair. I think it, it is one of those games where uh, if you haven't played it in a while, there's a lot to remember. And not just rules-wise. No, no. Just, you, just, just the pacing. Yeah, and, and how punishing a single turn can be with... Yeah. with there are only, you know six or seven decisions you make in a round, but yeah. every single one of them at the wrong time in the wrong situation can be disastrous. Yeah. Indonesia is a splatter game, splatter spellin, who makes, of course, food chain magnet being their most famous and antiquity and roads and boats and, uh, all manner of wonderful, very heavy games. Great Zimbabwe. Yeah. They're, they're amazing. They're, they're some of my favorite designers. I, I, I have almost every game that they've made. Yeah. And Indonesia is, uh, is a little 18 xxy in that well it sort of has that sort of brutal economic feel of uh, but instead of buying shares in companies you have this really interesting company merging mechanic wherein before you you in, in a lot of 18 xx games or stock manipulation games you do, you feel unsafe because you, do you have enough stock do you have too much are you going to get things dumped on you in this game it's you think you own companies but you could lose them any moment and somebody could just merge. Someone could just merge them with somebody else. And now you have nothing. And the valuation when you are bidding against other people for this new merged company, some people are bidding and they don't have either of the companies, which means they're going to be paying this capital out to the people that owned it. Some people are, have one of the companies figuring out what that valuation is, is extraordinarily, um, your own uh, did a uh, did a podcast on uh, ludology just, yeah, just a little while ago, and yeah. he was sort of talking. Your own is one of the designers, the two one of the two designers at Spell and Spiel. And Yoris is, is the other one. Yeah. Um, and he talked about that. He talked about uh, he wanted a math puzzle that was unknowable. Yeah. And boy, oh boy, is this a math yeah. puzzle and, that is unknowable. And so you've got that one horrible thing to always keep your mind on. And then the other horrible thing to keep your mind on is there's half the companies in the game are shipping companies. And someone could just ruin your whole life by building an inefficient shipping company around you and forcing you to pay them exorbitant amounts of money to ship your goods. And now you're dead, which is pretty much what happened to me in the last game. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And then uh, actually, didn't your shipping company get bought out, right? It got merged. Well, no, my uh, the company I had, I got it got merged. And then, uh, then, my, then the shipping lines... That that Trey had built around it were so wonderfully efficient and inefficient for me, but efficient for him that it just was like, well, I'll, I'm dead. I'm done. And listen, when you, when you have a game group that's played as, together as long as we have, we know each other's kryptonite. Uh, Paul's kryptonite. Do you know what that is? Paul's kryptonite. Lahav. That's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> Paul's kryptonite is Lahav. Can't quite seem to get around it. Every time Doesn't he hate says, it, but somehow feels that he is not that, it, that it, he's bad at it. Every time he plays it, he says, okay, whatever I do, this time I am never going to take fish. And yeah, every time ha- he takes fish. Hour into the game, he's taking fish. And we laugh. Uh, this Indonesia, I think, is kind of close to Trey's kryptonite. And oh, yet, really? Uh, yeah, yeah. He, he seemed deadly at it He won. Me. He won the game, yeah. he, and I think it's the, the the first time. I mean, it, he is he has said let, let's let's say it, let's not say it's kryptonite for him, but let's say that he has said remarked many times that the game is uh, an enigma to him. Oh well, that makes me feel better than I'm, because I'm happy he had a great game. Yeah, he did. He he really played Even well. Even if it was he at really my expense, he, was, he knew what he was doing. That's great. Oh, good. Anyway, that was game night. Uh, tonight's game night is my game night. We're doing it on Friday. Mm. So uh, we'll see what we'll see what we'll play. We're not really, really sure, but we'll have to talk about that later. Uh, I think we better move on to the news. Good evening, Mr. Mr. Now from South America. All the ships and clippers at sea. Let's go to press. Uh, first thing we have up in game news is there it's, are... It's great to just hear you doing this. Is it? Is it pretty good? <laughs> yeah, it's, I, I feel like I'm just listening to the podcast. This is great. I, I feel like I, I'm like re-listening to make sure the audio is good. 
<laughs> I will say this one thing. I will say that uh, you pressing the right button at the right time and messing it up frequently, I would yeah. always, in the back of my mind, I was always like, amateur. Yeah. Now that I'm doing it, it's, it's yeah. so fraught. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I'm so terrified that I'm going to press the wrong button. <laughs> always. And that when I press the wrong button, there's no way on this no particular deck to stop it. It's yeah. going to play the whole thing out. Um, but so far, so good. Uh, first bit of news is uh, there are new board game mechanics on the Geek. Now, Ooh. this is this is kind of in the weeds. It's big news. But it's, it's actually no, really big. No, this is huge. This is a structural change to BGG. And a, and a good one. There was a there was a uh, little what what do you call it window dressing change uh, yep. to BGG that happened recently. But this is a, a significant change for a long time now. Um, the board game mechanic categories that the geek has been using have been obviously uh, ill-equipped to deal with the changes in the hobby. Yeah, I think they were probably set a while ago and uh, have not really adapted. And a lot of them a lot of them cover a lot of them seem to mean the same thing. Like you know like. Uh, action, you know, I mean, a lot of them are just like, well, those are basically the same thing. Yeah, and and frankly, we understand that when we talk about mechanics, uh, oftentimes, you know, we we just had a conversation last week, I think, about whether or not something is a tableau builder or not, and what makes it so or what makes it not. Yeah. Luckily, uh, two two gentlemen, Jeff Engelstein and Isaac Shaley, wrote a book called Building Blocks of Tabletop Game Design. That'd be a good place to start. An encyclopedia of mechanisms. They call it mechanisms. The geek calls it mechanics, which yeah. was nice. Uh, and the geek is using their categories. I went through it uh, earlier this week, looking at all the all the, the new little things. And each one of the mechanics, if you go to the browse menu, you can click on a mechanics. You can look at all of them. You can click on any of them. And not only do they have a, a, a very simple but apt description of what that mechanic is, but they have little drawings to go with them right. to show you how that works. It's phenomenal. That's great. It's phenomenal. It's a really, really amazing resource. Um, moving on, let's talk about something else. Uh, Tilt 5. Tilt 5 is an alternate reality AR uh, tabletop gaming simulator. Uh, basically, the idea is you put on these glasses and you can see a 3D board right in front of you. Matt, what do you, what do you think about that? I mean, it looks like technology that's not ready. I think you're absolutely right. I think it um, holler at me in like five years, but for right now, uh, well, here's my main problem with it. Something that expensive is going to have to appeal to people, to all gamers. And I probably won't like the board games designed for people who play this device. Yeah, uh, listen, uh, a couple of years back, I've, I've written for a couple of VR titles, uh, VR games. And in doing so, um, I got to go to some great events. And one of those events, I played Oculus Catan. I played 3D Catan right in front of me. Mm -hmm. And it was really, really cool. But five minutes in, I'm playing Catan. So it really doesn't, really doesn't fit. Look, I, the end-all, be-all of this is if you are looking at spending your Kickstarter money well... I would not be the first in the door on any AR or VR related product. I would yeah. wait and see if it pans out, see what the adoption rate is and see how that goes. I mean, if there was a way to take existing software, like if you could take a tabletop simulator and I could just buy four glasses and a green mat I put on my table yeah. and we can play any game on tabletop simulator with that. That's interesting. I could see that being something I, I could potentially look at. But also the price has to be low because 
I could just play it for real. <laughs> so, it, you know, it has to, so in a sense, like, why would I do that? I guess you'd want games made. I mean, like, you know, you're thinking of like the Star Wars chess thing, whatever that's called, you know, like. Yeah, hollow chess. Yeah, like something like that where there's like, but then, I don't know. I, yeah, I, I, I'm having a hard time thinking of what I would be like, oh, I'm buying that. I mean, one of the whole reasons I got into playing board games in, in the first place is that I want to be hanging out with people in real life as opposed to just virtually and yeah. being face-to-face and hanging not, out. And not having time. any screens. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I love that. I still love that. I will say that that this technology, when it comes to uh, role-playing games, I think is, is uh, much more useful and much more helpful. A lot of people play via Skype mm-hmm. and to be able to have a 3D board that people can look at in, in, from the comfort of their own home or something like that, that might have more, uh, more appeal. Yeah. Um, next up, uh, reviews of Tapestry have been pouring in. Everybody has been reviewing this game and, uh, not more, much more to say about that, except that the reviews seem to be about as mixed as our review was. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of, um, a, a lot of people that I think, I think if you only listen to one review, I think our review will give you the gamut of all the other reviews and I'm not, I'm not trying to blow smoke. I'm just, I, I, after having seen a lot of reviews, I feel like we kind of are covering a lot of the different reviews. Nailed it. Yeah. Um, things you may have missed from Gen Con. There's a, a, a game that we haven't really... I don't think we've talked about Parks, have we? No. Let's talk about Parks really quick because it, it, for a niche that... For a market that is not exactly us... Uh, it's this a bit is on a, the lighter side, it's right? It's a noteworthy game. Yeah, it's a very light game. It's a very light, very simple game. Um, it, is, it is most closely allied with and compared to Tokaido. Oh, which, as you Jeez. know, you put on a list yesterday. Uh, not, not something I enjoy playing. Last week. Uh, that said, the artwork of this game is jaw-dropping. Yeah. I mean, better than Wingspan. I mean, if, if there was a game for, if there was an award for best art in a game this year, I think it would snake Wingspan because it, they're using actual art uh, actual uh, drawings and paintings um, from a collection of paintings of the national parks of the United yeah. States of America. No, they are beautiful cards. Um, and from, you know, everybody that's reviewed the game and has, has talked about it has said, look, it is a simple game. It's a light game that is gorgeous to look at and uh, it is lightly strategic. It's, it doesn't have any luck and it doesn't have a ton of, of randomness in it. Um, but... I would say that for people that uh, if you have if you're a couple that likes to play games with other couples, I mean, is this lighter than Splendor or Azul? Um, yeah, I mean, is Tokaido lighter than those games? Yeah, yeah, totally. I think it is. I think mm. this is this is a a filler game that's that's quite beautiful. The theming is wonderful. It's a little bit like Wingspan in that sense, in that the the theme is really really evocative, really rich and beautiful, and the game mechanics mimic that to some yeah. degree. you're taking pictures of these wonderful parks and that's you win by taking the best pictures mm-hmm. there's a little bit of resource management in it um but i would say that it that i think this is a fantastic couples game if if you have couples that get together for game night and you guys are are stuck playing trivial pursuit and things like that i think this is a fantastic game to get to maybe dip your toes to have party gamers and super casual gamers dip their toes into something that's a little bit closer to euro yeah 
Matt, you wanted to say uh, uh, something, didn't you? Oh, there's a couple of news items here. Yeah, we'll, we'll put we'll put one of yours in, and then we'll keep going and so on and so forth. Great. Well, uh, Sidereal Confluence, uh, which has a ridiculously long rest of the title, which I'm not going to say, is a game that I have played once and really enjoyed. It was good. Um, really fun. This is a game of real time trading, uh, in in a sci fi realm, um, and it's all about. You know, you have a timer on and you're you're wheeling and dealing and you've got stuff to sell and you're and, and you have goods that people need and the only way to get them is through you and vice versa. And everybody sort of has an asymmetrical wear shop that they that they can hawk goods that other people need. Now when you say trading game, people can sometimes think Catan and all that sort of stuff, but we're really talking negotiation. Right. Game. It's I, I, I need I need two yellow cubes. Um somebody goes, I have two yellow cubes. Okay, what do you need? I need one pink. Mm, I don't have pink. Okay. And then you know But guess what? He has pink and he needs my yellow right. cubes and we'll So we'll you'll do, do it through him trade. and then I'll trade with you and, and you know, and then oh no, yeah. time. we have one minute left. Like, come on, just make the deal. And then you're trying to basically build these I don't know. I mean, the, the theme is a little pasted on, which is why I'm interested in this, because the news is that it's getting a, uh, a new art package. Basically, it is not a beautiful game, um, not a huge important thing for me, uh, Sidereal Confluence, but it's, it's, it's ugly. Um, it's, the, the, the box is basic. The, the uh, card stock is very, very thin. There is no theme. It, it, when you're playing the game, I don't feel much of a theme. I, I don't know if I totally the theme, agree The theme that. is there in terms of because you have such highly asymmetrical alien powers. Like yes. crazy asymmetrical. Game-breaking asymmetrical. But all of the theme is in your head and in the LARPing of the table. The artwork does not get you there. And the components don't get you there. So there is a new version coming out sometime in 2020 that is basically going to take this wonderful game that everybody who plays it, I think, for the most part, really enjoys and is going to make it up to snuff in terms of components and artwork. It's wonderful. Uh, no pun included. Uh, we love No Pun Included. They mm-hmm. had that as their game of the year last yeah. year. Uh, and and WizKids Games is bringing out. And, you know, WizKids... The- they did the previous edition, didn't they? Yeah. Uh, oh, did they? I think. Oh, they, okay. I think they did. Well, there you go. I'm, I'm not positive about that. Um, yeah. Listen, negotiation games are a weird, uh, a weird animal. There are... I can name three... Uh, I can name Traders of Genoa, I can mm-hmm. name uh, Chinatown, and I can mm-hmm. name Sidereal Confluence. They're all, I guess uh, I'm the boss is another one, uh, but they're all very, very interesting games. And I, I love every single one of them, yeah. but you have to be up for a, a game that is more LARPy than most board mm-hmm. games. And this game's it, heavy. This game's yes, heavy. This is, is not a simple game, but it has a very strange player count. How many players does it play to? Two to nine. That's crazy. Four to nine. I guess there's a two-player variant, but sure. up to nine players. No, I think we played it with six or seven, and I mean, I don't... That felt pretty good. Yeah. I, it, it's, That's not, nine, the only issue with nine is just table space, because it's a hog. Oh, yeah. It takes up tons and tons of space, and also there is... Uh, I think there is probably more chaos at the higher counts than there is a lower count. Yeah. But your first, because you, you do have few, to sort of know, because you're making a deal with somebody, you kind of have to be aware that if they're the, the two brown cubes they want from you are going to be worth fifty points to them, and the one pink they're giving you is worth four to you. Like you kind of have to be aware of like yeah. how much you're helping, because it's a little hard to track who's winning in this game. The more players you have, yeah. In, in Genoa, traders of Genoa, um, there is no variable player power. Everybody's just trading. Mm-hmm. In Chinatown, everybody's just trading. This game is different because every race has a pretty radically different agenda yeah. and what they're after and the way they're set up. And they have different rules pertaining to the way their game and the flow of their game is going to go. So if I'm playing against three people, I can remember, okay, Matt, you're playing the bugs and their deal is they need um, 
they need to conquer new planets and to get new planets. I think green is the cube that they want the most. And this person, they're the technology people and they're looking for the silver cubes. And remembering that when there's only a few players gives gives you a little bit of an anchor in terms of what's a good valuation and how to yeah. trade well with people. When it becomes seven, eight, nine people, it's mass chaos. Now, it's kind of amazing mass chaos because every, because in a negotiation game, you know, if you've ever played Pit, it's yeah. basically like growing up Pit. You're sure. just yelling, I need a gray cube. I will do anything to get this gray cube. What do I got to do? Right. Um, I think Sidereal Confluence, I think, is a great game in a small collection. As, as like if, if you play with a regular group and you're going to bring this out once a month or something, you're going to get a lot of bang for your buck. And the, the more you know the alien powers, the less chaotic it is, the more you know the, the, you can get a great meta going. It's definitely an exciting game. Absolutely. Yeah. And then if you don't have any negotiation games in your collection, I recommend you try one. Yeah. Uh, don't don't just buy one necessarily, but definitely try one and see if that might be to your liking. Because yeah. guess what? As a change of pace, as something just a little bit different, but still scratches a lot of the same itches, it's pretty wonderful. Yeah. And keep an eye out for Sidereal Confluence coming in 2020. Uh, next up, we have Dice and Ink. It is a roll and write anthology. It is a 200 page book of little roll and write games that were designed. Solo game? Uh, no, not entirely. There are many, many different ones actually in, in there. There is uh, there are ones that are solo. There are ones that are two player. There are ones that are four player. All kinds of counts. Uh, I'll, I'll actually describe a couple of them. Uh, Lost at Sea. You're a solitaire player trying to survive being stranded on an island of trash. Um, there's another one called Celestial Stories, which is a cooperative storytelling for two to eight players, where you're creating constellations. Mm. All of them roll and write games. Uh, this sounds phenomenal. I, I, I'm not really a huge roll and write guy. My favorite roll and write game is a game that uh, almost nobody has played, unfortunately, on tour. I think is the only one that really that really sang to me. Um, Welcome to we played you you mm-hmm. own, you own that and Ganshon Clever. Uh, yeah, Ganshon Clever I think is the most fun, but just because it's it's just a little math puzzle. But if you like it's that, luck. if you've played roll and write games and you're like, wow, you know what? I really dig these. Gosh, two hundred page book with perforated pages, so you can remove them and play all kinds of different uh, games. That's cool. Sounds like a lot of bang for your buck. Yeah, I think it really is a, a phenomenal idea, and I'm glad they did it. Um, should we get to it? Yeah, let's get to it. Tom Lehman's been a busy, busy bee. Oh, I don't think I've been following this. What's oh, going on? Boy, oh boy, oh boy, Matt. Uh, I have not one, not two, but three things to announce. For Tom Lehman, Uh, I know about the Res Arcana expansion. Is there? there, That's that's one of them. Okay. Um, Tom Lehman, in case you are under a rock or uh, don't know, he was the designer of Race for the Galaxy, King of the Engine Builder, game changing game that really basically created a whole new genre. The the Engine Builder Uh, went on to make many other games. Uh, We did a review of Res Arcana. once again, uh, uh, you and I have we, have, some... we choose the contentious ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, where we don't quite agree, and mm-hmm. uh, I, I seem to be stuck in the negative, unfortunately. But mm. um, yeah, but but uh, there's no doubt. And as I said in the review, uh, I have the utmost respect for Tom Lehman and what he does. Uh, he has a game called Chuhan coming out. It is a two-player game. How do you spell that? C H U H A N. Two words. Yes. Okay. Uh, it's a game of dynastic intrigue, it's called. And basically, it's a two-player game where one person represents the state of Chu and the other one represents the state of Han. And you're facing off to gain control of the eastern part of China. 
Um, you're going to use troops and historical figures. You have to outthink. It's a card game with tactical moves. Uh, it sounds it sounds like a departure for him. It sounds mm. like it's a little bit different than the things that he's done. Um, I don't know too much more about that, except that uh, there's going to be a Kickstarter for it that is going to kick off November 1st. Okay. So by the time that comes out, you'll have a lot more to look at. But He's sort of also the king of two-player games, too. I mean, a lot of his games aren't exclusively two players, but that's, I think, how they're most enjoyed, especially, you know, Race and Res Arcana. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I totally agree with that. Second game he has, a New Frontiers Starry Rifts. Oh, good. I've been waiting for an expansion on that. Yes. There's an expansion that is coming out quite, quite soon. Uh, I think that he said that it uh, fourth quarter 2019, it should oh, be it coming out. Oh, it adds a fifth player. Okay, that's what it needed. Yes. That is exactly what the game needed. Yes. It adds a fifth player. It adds 16 new homeworlds, 10 developments, 13 worlds. Oh, never mind. It already had five players. Well, okay, never mind. No, it doesn't. It, no, it, it already it, did. It, add a player yeah. uh, what it does add is uh, do you remember what xeno worlds were from uh, race for the galaxy remind me the idea is is that there are these worlds that you can get but once you put them into your tableau once you put them on your board you can never remove them they are stuck there okay and if by the end of the game you do not have enough military to defeat that world it's okay. gonna it's, oh you've started like a war there yes Yes, which is, a, it. which is really great because, you know, as we all know in, in Race for the Galaxy or, or New Frontiers, military has been a, a pretty simple metric, right? Where yeah. you build your military up to it's certain points. It's just another points, resource, so, yeah. Exactly. Now it's a little bit more than that. Now it's one of these things where you can get these worlds that can be very, very wealthy and yeah. very, very powerful for you, but there's a huge risk if you do not at some point get your military up you to keep under such control. and such a level. Exactly. Um, which I really liked in Race for the Galaxy. I thought yeah. it added a, a great dimension to the game, and I'm really happy to see it in New Frontiers. I love New Frontiers. I mean, I love Race for the Galaxy, and this is my preferred way to play Race for the Galaxy. It just seems like different ways to play Race for the Galaxy, and this is my this is the one I would choose over the others, just because I prefer a board game. Yeah, I, I think for me, Race for the Galaxy and New Frontiers are both basically tied at number one, Yeah, um, and Roll for the Galaxy is, uh, is, is second place for me. But yeah. Uh, I got to tell you, I enjoy all of them. Uh, and last but not least for Tom Lehman, uh, we do have the Res Arcana expansion. Very excited for that. Lux at Tenebrae. And yeah. as Matt, I'm sure you know as good Catholic boy, Lux at Tenebrae means light and light darkness. And, light and darkness. Yeah. Light and darkness in Latin. Uh, I did take a year of Latin, actually. I took four years of Latin, and that was a giant waste of time. But I can read every menu when I go to Europe. Remus camus nos in presentia sancta Dei. Oh, jeez. Okay. Uh, it adds a fifth player to Res Arcana. So if you uh, if four is not enough for you, get that fifth player. That's what I was thinking of as the fifth player expansion he had. Yeah. That's the one. That's the one. And it also adds a little element called scrolls. The idea being... Um, scrolls. Scrolls. Um, when you have those, uh, those initial magic items that are in the center and you choose one of those each turn, at the end of your turn, you yeah, choose sure. one of those items, there's going to be a new uh, item that is going to create scrolls. Ooh. And there'll be eight scrolls that are available. You grab one of them. Them, and they are just a big power boost that you can take at any point and put it back. Things like you can spend one gold and get one of each of the other resources. Got it. Things and new like new characters too, right? New wizards. Yep. Yep. Yeah, those are great. Those yeah, are all great. the you know all the usual things you would expect from an yeah. from an expansion. I'm talking. Uh, I'm yeah, bringing up what's, yeah, what's yeah. in particular. No, I'm uh, special. I'm I'm. This is a game that I will always want to play. So I'm excited to get more. Now hit us with your big news. Uh, last piece of news is. We've had rumors of this for a while, but it officially has a name now, which I think is a hilarious name. Marco Polo 2. 
I'm off track des con. I don't know what that translates into. Something <laughs> of the con. Um, Marco Polo, the voyages of Marco Polo, is one of my very favorite board games of all time. And it is from Simone Luciani and Daniel Tashini, the designers of Barrage, which we talked about recently and a lot of the greatest games ever made, including the one we're going to be talking about today and reviewing. Um, Marco Polo 2 is Brass Birmingham to Marco Polo's Brass Lancashire. Uh, this is the game you know and love, but with a brand new map. Um, and it is, I, it is strangely a map of the same area, but new connections, new ways the routes go, all new player powers, which is the most exciting thing. And apparently, you can use all the components from this on either board. That's and great. So, so very uh, Hansa Teutonica sort of thing, where the, the second game was a board, yeah. but you realized the moment you played it, oh, just changing the board changes yeah. everything. Well, and it's a standalone game. So you could just buy this one and have a whole new set of, 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 a, of a fresh set of powers and components and everything you need. But now you can add all the powers together and play either board. or you know. So you basically are getting uh, a whole new game that you can play just with the game it comes with or with the game you already have if you have Marco Polo. And Marco Polo is a 10 for me. One oh. of my favorite games of all time. No so question about it. To have a, uh, a sequel to it, especially it's called Marco Polo 2, which is just, I don't know, something funny about it's it. It's about time somebody somebody started naming things that. Yeah. I, I think We've this, never had a board game do that. Yeah. Marco Polo 2. Got it? Okay, let's move on. Oh, um, Antica. Antica 2. Antica 2. Yeah, Antica 2. That's go. the only one I can think of. Yeah. Um, yeah, listen, one of the things about Marco Polo is is the first time you play it, you look at the board and everything looks normal. But after you played it, you realize, wow, this is a really weird board. Yeah. That the east-west routes, you have to go almost the Super entire way across the board before you can switch routes. Yeah. Which is a very, very interesting thing. So to change that board, uh, I think, even in a subtle way, is going to make huge, huge changes to the way the game plays. I'm really looking forward to it. A um, couple of last things. Uh, Clue. Oh, they, oh sorry. Sure. I just wanted, they added one thing in uh -oh. that's going to change the game. Uh-oh. So bef you now have to travel to cities to get contracts. Now, one thing, one, yes. one issue that I always sort of had with Marco Polo is you could not play Marco Polo and win Marco Polo. You could just sit in the starting position and fulfill contracts and potentially do okay. Have you ever seen Dimitri move a pawn on the board <laughs> I don't in, know. in Marco Polo? Yeah, like so the contract, I think he only takes the the contract game is so strong. And, it's, and with expansion, it's even stronger because you have more ways of getting things to fulfill those contracts without ever moving. Well, moving um, around Venice. Exactly. Which yeah. is still moving, but, yeah. a little, but it's different, yes. Um, so now, I, I don't know what it means, but you're going to have to travel to cities to get contracts so you can't just sit in Venice anymore, which is what it's, I think with the expansion, a lot of people have realized, oh, that's a lot of work to move around the map. I'm just not going to do that. How are these guys so good? Like we didn't, like... I yeah. didn't even read a lot of posts where people were saying that this was... Yeah, was, it's a, was, people was say a, it. Yeah. Well, a little bit, but it's one of those things that, that they're... We've too, noticed in our games, we were like, wait sure. a minute, you could win by not playing the game. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure you can win, but you could do, yeah. what, you could do really well. Uh, listen, in, in fierce competition, you got to do a little bit of mix of both. Sure. Right? Sure. Um, anyway, super excited. Go ahead. Awesome. Um, Clue, formerly Clue Doe, is mm -hmm. getting a new movie. Oh, okay. That's fun. Sure. Yeah. Great movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The hook uh, being the, the, the first problem movie with like eight different endings. Uh, three endings. Three, yeah, that's and, it? And okay. they're, they're only three, but they're fantastic. Yeah. They're absolutely fantastic. I remember going to a movie theater and you didn't know which one you were going to get. 
I love that movie. It's not a great movie, That's but I good. absolutely really love it. It's, it's damn good. so much fun. Tim Curry as the as the yeah. butler, uh, Michael McKean. Uh, there, it, it's a great, great movie if you ever saw it. So I was like, wow, you know what? It's probably the best board game movie. Oh, easily. And they're remaking it. Yeah. Uh, and I was a little sad about that. I'm like, why, why remake one, the only one that actually turned out well? Until I found out who is doing it. Uh, Ryan Reynolds is going to star in it. Jason Bateman is going to star and direct it. Oh, that's fun. Right? And he just won an Emmy for directing Ozark. Yeah, that's great. Uh, and it's going to be writ, uh, written by uh, Reese and Wernick. Oh, okay. Great. Who, who wrote yeah. the Deadpool movies. Yeah. So, boy, oh, boy. man, right, that's, they, a good, that's a good team. That is loaded for bear. Yeah, that's fun. Big, big, violent comedy, murder, comedy, murder, comedy. That's, I mean, look, do, I pitch do, movies. Do you want a second take on that one? No. That was really good. A big, violent murder comedy, murder comedy. <laughs> murder comedy, murder comedy. Yeah. I love it. They I can have it. that one for free. And lastly, one last thing we'll just say is that our own Trey Alsop, uh, his latest game installation is the subject of a podcast episode. And we Ooh. want to tell you about that. Uh, Anchor.fm's Conversations at the Washington Library uh, is a podcast. It is something that exists. And uh, they're going to talk everything Situation Room, Washington's Cabinet. It's the new thing that uh, that Trey has done. It's going to be basically Hamilton the LARP. Yeah. And uh, really check it out. It's a, it's a great interview. It, it it sort of delves into Trey the designer a little bit more than, than we get time yeah, to yeah. do here. And you should absolutely check it out. I personally am definitely going to check that out. Oh, that's awesome. Um that's it for that. Now, the biggest question of the podcast is, which games on the brain? Oh, this is going to say a lot about you as a person. Which here. one? The, you know what the tricky thing is? You don't know which one is which. I don't which. know which one is which. I know I which think, one that is. I think that this is going to be the one that is not uh, near and dear to my heart, and I'm going to play it because I love this person. Games. Games on the brain. These are games we like to play. These are games to Absolutely phenomenal. <laughs> it's the one I wanted. It's the one I played. Uh, if you don't know, that uh, that was uh, scored and arranged by Daedalus, mm. uh, Alfred Darlington. I heard uh, he's a professor now. Uh, I think he is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I will say that that is pretty indicative of the rest of his work. I think it's a real classic. <laughs> in the, if you liked that, you will love his new album. Absolutely, without a doubt, which is uh, available on Spotify as we speak. Matt, what are you thinking about? What's on your brain these days? Well, besides babies, what's on my brain in the board games right now is uh, thinking about solo games because <laughs> <laughs> that is uh, a lot of my gaming going to uh, going to be happening in the future. Solo games, and I picked up a new solo game that I'm excited to try. I do not have it in my hands yet, as it is en route to me as we speak. But this is Nemo's War. Do you know about Nemo's War? I do not know about Nemo's War. So Nemo's War is a solo-only, heavy board game that is designed by Chris Taylor, who is a uh, mostly known as a war game designer. Um, he is mo well; he's most known for Nemo's War, but he's done uh, he's done uh, Pillars of Eternity, Lords of the Eastern Reach, uh, Astra Titanus, Legions of Darkness, uh, sort of uh, thematic uh, war games. But Nemo's War is a story-based heavy strategy game uh, about uh, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. I love it. Um, 
It is art by Ian O'Toole, and it is some of the most beautiful board game art I've ever seen in my entire life. Ian O'Toole is one of the one of the guys who is crushing it in the art world right now. Um, and it is I've I've heard about it for a long time, and it has been out of print forever. Um, totally impossible to get. They ran a Kickstarter for it last year for the, a new printing of the second edition, and I missed it like an idiot. And um, it just started delivering to people in the last couple of weeks, and a few copies have trickled out into the marketplace right now, and I made sure to snag one along with the expansions. The reason that you want to try to grab this as soon as possible, and my main reason for it, is that Victory Point Games is the producer of this, com- of this game, the publisher oh, wow. of it, and they are out of business. So once this is gone, That's all is there's going to be. That's all there's going to be. Victory Point Games does not exist anymore gone maybe going to be picked up by somebody we don't know but at the moment right a gone company and this is solo only right solo only there is a cooperative mode but the designer said it was done after the fact and it's a and people say it's okay but this is a solo game but um i might try to stream it at some point i think it'd be a fun game to stream it's beautiful it's heavy it's very very story laden um there is uh some swingy dice stuff going on but apparently it's uh, very, uh, it's, it's, it's a huge part of the fun of the story of it. Um, but it is very, uh, the more, uh, the more something is a story game, exactly. the more I'm willing to accept some of that. But right? it's, it's pretty war gamey and interesting. And there's, um, at the beginning of the game, there's four different ways to play the game and each game is sort of Nemo's motive. So, you know, what is he, what is he obsessed with this game? So is it oh, wow. exploration or science or conquest or things like that? Um, and you have to make him happy and give him what he wants in order to get, you know, to hit a certain threshold of points to win. So like a toddler. Yeah, exactly. But <laughs> it's also the game is known for being extremely hard, like uh, very rare to win. Um, oh, I like that. That sounds great. Yeah. Now, is there a way you're going to be able to mount the board in such a way that you can have a, a baby on your chest <laughs> while you while you play it on your lap? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's it's, it's and it's funny for a solo game. It takes up as much space as sort of a normal board game. I mean, it's a it's like here, I'll show you a quick picture like. That's a, that's, that's, a, it's oh, that's, a, it's, that's a, that's a bit of a beast. There's a right lot there. going on, I mean, is a, which oh. I love. Like, I love the idea of like, okay, I'm, I, you know, I'm not gonna be able to play multiplayer board games for a while, but to have the feeling of like setting out a whole game and getting all the components ready. And wow. Wow. Put a put a whole pot of coffee on and, you know, try to get it done before the baby wakes up. Wow. Uh, for me on my brain, I've been thinking about diplomacy lately. Ooh. Diplomacy is a, uh, Alan Callamer game from the 1950s, seven player only. I mean, there are other player counts and there are variants that you can play at different player counts, but really the classic game, seven player only. Yeah. Um, one of those, one of those absolute game changers in terms of the industry. One of those games that, uh, still is as relevant today as it was back then. Um, you have an announcement to make on that? I don't have an official announcement except to say that I'm trying to see if there's a way that we can get a significant portion of our Game Brain group to play this on the web. Uh, there's basically these days What's you play the web, it via, Tom? Uh, the World Wide, the world wide web. web. I guess people don't call it that anymore, but but it is play by web is what they is what they call right. it. Uh, it's basically playing by email because the game itself is super simple. You have seven great powers of Europe prior to World War I. Um, each player has starts off with a territory and three pieces. Uh, Russia starts with four, but they have a, a, a tricky situation where they're located. Um, and each one of those pieces can either move or support somebody else's move or hold. How do you track that over email? Well, um, actually, the web feature of that 
will track it for you and will update the map. And the thing is, is that if I move into Tyrolia and you move into Tyrolia, it's one versus one and we both bounce back and neither of us move, which is why negotiation is required. So I'm writing letters to you as the, you know, I'm the, I'm the king of England and I'm saying, yes, sir. Would you please? Oh, gosh. So, if you, so it begins. Yeah, so it begins, indeed. Um, if you would see your way to aiding me into the English Channel, which is notably the English Channel, I would love to help you kick the Kaiser out of your Burgundy. Oh, boy. And that sort of thing, right? Got it. Doing a lot of that. Uh, I think that it would be really fun if we were to play this sort of as a group and, you know, do little updates every yeah, every yeah, now yeah. and then. We'll see. We'll see if it comes to pass or if it doesn't. Um, Sounds also, fun. I think you should try to do that. I, I would like to try and do that. We'll, we'll see. We'll see how it goes with uh, with everybody and if we can get enough people to do it. Uh, 18xx has been on my mind a little bit lately. Uh, you know how we will never play Tichu when Dimitri's here? Yeah. And how we'll never play Agricola when Trey's here? <laughs> yeah. Now that you're not no, here, no, that's so rude. We are going to play nothing but 18xx all the well, time. If part of that is getting Trey open to playing it, um, dude, I'm dying to that. That's one of my major projects is right. is is to get him to, to give a second it, chance. It doesn't make any sense to me why he doesn't like it, but I, I just he seems to like every he seems to love every game around its periphery. <laughs> well, he has the same objection with uh, Twilight Struggle, and and I get it. It's it's. Uh, you can walk into a game and realize, oh, the amount of things I need to learn to even be barely competent at this yeah. game is huge. And I, I think totally he's saying, respect that. I think he's saying the juice ain't worth the squeeze, baby. <laughs> I think that's, that's exactly what he's, saying. what he's saying. He's saying the juice ain't worth the squeeze, Tom. That is exactly what he's saying. And it's too saying. big of a squeeze for his juice. Are we going to end up with that on our T-shirt? Is that what's happening know. here? That's crazy. Is that is that going to be our reviewing scale, Matt? Is this is the juice worth the squeeze on this one? <laughs> I give it three drops and a, and a hefty squeeze. Did you see my post? Not a lot I, of juice. I, I put yeah. a post on Facebook that had yeah. that had a five point uh, uh, yeah. rating scale. No based juice, on squeezing, much squeezing, and the highest review, easy squeezy. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, because sometimes you uh, like I think a heavy game is a, is a really hard squeeze. Oh yeah, but you're getting gallons oh, out of that it's baby. So good. Oh. You could you could feed the whole town with that. It's so good. When a light a light game, sometimes you know you squeeze you give it a little squeeze, and uh, you know you only get a little bit of juice. <laughs> and if you give it a lot of squeeze, you find out that's all there was in there, just a little bit. <laughs> it sort of falls apart. The metaphor is what I'm saying. Yeah, you 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 you, uh, you whipped it until it was dead. Yeah. Uh, the and the last game on my brain is a game called Orbitals. Um, you haven't heard, you're typing it in right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're not going to find it because it's a game in my brain. Oh, I'm still Googling. It. I've, I've, <laughs> I found it. Orbital board game. No geek. orbitals. Plural. Oh, shoot. Okay. Orbitals plural. Um, I've been thinking for a little while about a game that I wanted to design Ooh. and I've sort of started to draw it up. This is, you know, uh, this is one of those things that's a spare time only thing. So it's going to take a little while to come together, but I, I'm kind of really excited about what I'm coming up with. We've got competing designs in our group now between you with Orbitals. Oh, I'll take ADA and, down and Trey with Assistant District Attorney. He's got he's got a jump on you though. You got he's been designing this for a while. Oh no, I, I totally understand that. I, I but I I like what I'm coming up with. I'm really enjoying it so orbitals. far. Orbitals. 
Yeah, yeah. Listen, never designed a board game before, so who knows? Maybe, maybe this is a pipe dice dream. rolling uh, mini skirmish game. I'm guessing. Uh, yeah, no, I, you know me. Yeah, you know me. <laughs> That's what it's got to be. If there's one thing I'm all about, if you crit on a six, you roll another die. Exploding. Yeah. Exploding dice. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. That's cool. that's that's the primary primary means of that's uh, it though of my joy. Yeah. No, that's all the game is. Yeah, that's all the game is. <laughs> Guys, that's games on the brain. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to talk about the eight by eight challenge and our update to it. This should be a fairly quick segment, Matt. Update us on the eight by eight challenge. Uh, we played Indonesia this week, uh, not on the eight by eight challenge. <laughs> <laughs> um, we, have we stalled out on do it? Do we need to rethink it? Do we need? Okay, you know what? No, I don't think hold we on, do. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. You gonna, look, you gonna look it up? Yeah, I, I think there's a few games on it that need uh, uh, addendums. Okay, hold on, hold on. I'm bringing this up. Okay, let's let's talk about this. We're gonna sure. have a real talk about this. Let's do this it. is too much. Here we go. Because I'm leaving, and you know what? I, and this needs to ha- be handled. Okay, Concordia. Why? Why? I, we, we we have not played it once. Not a worry. I've tried to bring it out a million times. Not a worry. Not a worry. We will okay. get that. We will get that done. Age of Steam. The exp- the uh, the new version is shipping in the next month. That's not going to be a problem getting that finished. No, it won't be a problem at all. Pax Renaissance. I think we need to remove the word Renaissance. And I think we Any need PAX to make game. it PAX Games count. I totally agree. I think PAX Premier counts. I think PAX Porphyriana counts. I think PAX Renaissance counts. And I think PAX Transhumanity, when it ships in the next month, should count as well. I, I think totally it should agree. be the system. Age of Steam is a system. PAX is a system. Change it. Ship it. I haven't. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't talk about this much, but PAX Porphyriana may be my favorite PAX game. I may like yeah. it better than, than Renaissance and Premier, and I'd like them both. Here's my next thing. Food Chain Magnet should be splatter games. Totally agree. I was literally going to say the same thing. And I think any splatter game should count. Yes. Yeah, because I mean, playing playing eight splatters is, is still a big deal. It's hard. And there's and not is, that many. It's tough. And they're they're and by the way, they're all amazing. And and if our goal is to get people comfortable with with games, all splatters should count. Here's my here's here's the biggest problem with this list for me. Yeah, Gloomhaven. I I I just don't think it's going to happen with this group. Um the the time commitment to get your feet wet on Gloomhaven, and as you mentioned, I don't last think, week, here's the, the problem. I'm just not super like I'm not super excited to play it at the moment. That's the problem. So I'm not like every. There's just I'm more excited in other games. We may need to. You know what? We will open it up to the group. Yeah, and let's see what what uh, people vote on to replace it. I don't think Grey Western Trail is a problem. Here's here's the thing I would do. No, here's Grey how Western here's how we burn through this. I think we 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 beat the only things we've we we basically have one game left on Gaia Project, and we've done Avalon. Yes, I think we replace both of those with two great medium weight games. I think that's what this list is missing. Outside of Great Western Trail, which is a medium heavy game, we need two great medium weight games on there. I think we, I would put forth, I would put forth one of the games we're talking about here, uh, whether it's uh, Marco Polo or um, uh, uh, Lorenzo or... I'm going to stop you right there. The way to complete our 8x8 challenge is not to add new things into the challenge before the <laughs> challenge is done. That is absolutely not the way to do this. We have got to finish our challenge. Okay, well, what are we going to put? What, do you, what, would, what should we replace Gloomhaven with? Uh, well, listen, I want to definitely put it out to the group and see what they have to say. Mm. Um, but when I think of 8x8 challenge, I think of what is a game that is underserved? What is a game I think that of we Jake. should have played I think more? of what's a game that I want to be able to pull to the table and have Jake go, oh, I know this game. Yeah. You know, I want everybody in our group. I want a bunch of games that we can pull out that everybody's like, I'm very comfortable with this game and we can just play and there's no teaching and everybody knows it. I would say that the game we're going to review today. I would say I would be on the top of my list. Easily be that. I'd be on the top of my list. I would say if we wanted to go a different direction, El Grande, which he's played and, and, and really liked. We need, I think we need a modern medium weight Euro on this list. Okay. I'm I'm, an Italian stallion, if you will. (laughs) 
because it's designed they by are Italians. they are crushing it i will say zolkin is another one that i think is an sure. absolute fantastic sure. option uh, a little to, heavier to fit there a little heavier barely barely a but a little but a little bit, a little bit. yeah I, I i i don't really consider that that different no it's at the high end of medium just like how yeah. Trois is at the high end of medium i think that's true i think that's true so i think that's where that's where we're at on the eight by eight challenge um come up to the game review this is a big one for me today. I, I requested this one. And I can't, I can't disagree with it. We are reviewing Lorenzo Il Magnifico. Uh, if you looked at Matt's ratings and my ratings on The Geek, I think it's safe to say that neither of us have this below a 9.5. Uh, I have 10 games rated a 10. And that's one of them. Yeah, uh, I, I think I have it as a 9.5. I don't know why I haven't moved up to a 10. Shoot, I have it as a 9.5 too. Hold on, let me fix that. Oh, there you go. And it's a 10. Now I have 11 tens. That's that, ridiculous. That's weird. I didn't yeah. know that you had it at that, but uh, yeah, I, I, had it, I had it at 9.5. But it is a 10, and especially after the expansion. We're going to be talking about not just the game, but we're going to be talking about the game plus the expansion. Um, plus the new little tiny expansion. Yeah, I, which I know nothing about, but yeah, I'm looking forward to getting about. into it. So uh, let's, get, let's, talk, let's do the tale of the tape first. All right. Uh, Lorenzo Il Magnifico uh, came out. What year did it come out? 2015, I believe, I believe it's 2015. Uh, the art is by Clemens Franz, Andrea Katnig, and Andreas Resch. And it is designed by a group of people who, if there was a fantasy board game designer league... <laughs> and which there definitely should be. Every single one of these people would probably be in the top 10. Yeah, I can, uh, I can give you some of their stats as I go down. I'm, I'm, I'm about ready to, for this? I'm totally ready to do this. Hit me. Flamina Brasini... Uh, not only designed uh, Lorenzo, but she also designed Coimbra. And I think it's important to take a moment and, and say she is a female designer. Female designer, amazing, amazing. Those two games alone would be would be you know a, a PhD status. Yeah. Coimbra in, in and Lorenzo, you you are in the Hall of Fame. Absolutely. Uh, Virginio Gigli uh, designed this. He also designed Coimbra, and he also designed Grand Austria Hotel, which is if there is a a masterpiece that is a little bit more forgotten out of the group. I think that's well, the, that's, that's the funny one. because some people this is their like there. I think of this this. There's like four games in this genre in this, tr- this sort of world here. There's there's Marco Polo, Lorenzo, Coimbra, and Grand Austria. Uh, I would definitely throw Zolkin into the mix. Yeah. Okay. So yes. and we get those five games. Um, for a lot of people, I think Grand Austria might be their favorite. I think that I think only there in our group did for it. sure. Yeah. Like even Jennifer uh, Schlickburn, who uh, we talked about last week on the she podcast, did say that she likes. She, this is by far Grand Austria is by far her favorite, and Grand Austria is incredible and a game that actually I, I pulled off my shelf this week, and I was like, we need to play this more. Totally agree. It's, it's dang good. I, I I don't have anything negative to it say came about out, Grand Austria. It came out like within within a year of Lorenzo, and just Lorenzo just eclipsed it for me. I think I said something last week about um, really truly great games. There's an alchemy to it, right? It's not science. At a certain point, there is. It's not just that the game plays wonderfully, but there's there's something kind of magical about the mix yeah. of the different elements. And just for me personally, Grand Austria Hotel is at the absolute peak of design, but the alchemy of it isn't quite doesn't sing to me quite as strongly as some of these other ones. Sure. Uh, but we need to get to the third and final designer of this game, and his name is Simone Luciani. Mm-hmm. And uh, holy what, cow! What hasn't been said about Simone Luciani? Is he is he the greatest game designer I of said, our this time? This is what I said during the barrage review. I said I think he's my favorite designer of all time. I think he is. I think he is. I think there's no way to say he designed Lorenzo Il Magnifico, which, as you will see, we he's are we are going to games, yeah. sure. 
as you see, and, and the great thing is, is that they do design in teams, in yeah. groups. They work together. They have kind of a collective. Mm-hmm. There's no doing auteur this, theory here. Which is amazing. He designed Lorenzo Willi Magnifico. He designed Grand Austria Hotel. He designed The Voyages of Marco Polo. He designed Zolkin. He designed Newton. And, ladies and gentlemen, he designed Barrage. Yeah, he's, he's not messing around here. He came to play in this board game thing. This guy... This guy, he is like Babe Ruth. Yeah, no, it's stupid. It is. He is pitching. He is batting. He is knocking everything out of the park. It's unreal. Matt, why don't you tell us a little bit about Lorenzo and yeah. what it is? So the reason I wanted to talk about Lorenzo today was uh, this is my last episode as host for a little bit, a couple months, and I wanted maybe, to maybe talk longer. about. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> Calm down. <laughs> I wanted to talk about what I think is, and because it came up in a couple of reasons, we talked last week about games that don't get the respect that they deserve. Now, you can't say that about Lorenzo, as it is the 106th highest-ranked game on BoardGameGeek. It's hard to say that it is uh, underrated. Well, well, I, but, but here's my point. It's criminally underrated. Totally agree. I'm going to say this right now. How is it on the top 20? Lorenzo Il Magnifico is the greatest medium-weight board game of all time. Boom. I'm saying it. Said it. I'm saying it. Now, is I, I, is Marco Polo better? Is Grand Great Western Trail better? Is Zolkin better? No. They might be as good, but there is nothing better. And if I had to pick just one of the great medium weight board games, the great modern Euros of the medium weight style, I'm picking Lorenzo because I think it ticks all the boxes and I think it has the greatest replay value, mainly because I think it has the greatest expansion of all of them. And I love Great Western Trails expansion, but Great Western Trails expansion almost is a 2.0 to me. This is a true expansion in that it just I would never play without it. I would say that uh, I would say this. I would say the Great Western Trail expansion takes an amazing game and fixes something that was not quite singing as well as it should. Sure. But it almost feels like a different it almost feels like a sequel to me. Well, in fixing it, it f- almost forces you to do something that the yeah. previous game didn't have. Yeah. I could still see wanting to play vanilla Great Western Trail. I would never play vanilla Lorenzo. Nothing needs to be fixed in vanilla Lorenzo. Right. Vanilla Lorenzo is a perfect game. It is a perfect game. It really, really is. I don't mind playing basic. Uh, Sure. Just at the con, um, there was... uh, Jesse had never played Lorenzo and I got it oh, out of crazy. the game library, and and we played it, and and we played it with Ben M, and we played it with Elder and him. Yeah, uh, Elder had just gotten off of a twenty-hour flight from Ghana, yeah, and came directly to the con. Uh, play, we played that game, and we had the best time, and it was vanilla because we were we, we didn't have the expansion. We, yeah. we were getting it out of the game library. Uh, what I love is that game. something also funny about this game is the the, the publisher of this game is Simon Games, yep. which when I think brilliant genius medium weight euros the the last Uh-oh. company that comes to mind is Simon games uh <laughs> this is the the company behind zombicide and blood rage and rising sun and arcadia quest and very fun games soon to be our sponsor but um Just i was They're you know I, I think part of the reason this game didn't didn't blow up the way it should have i think is because it you know it, it was didn't come from you know hollenspiel or something or some you know uh oh, interesting uh, I think people sort of were like, Simon, they don't make the games I buy. Um, so let me tell you a little bit about Lorenzo Magnifico. Lorenzo Magnifico came out in 2016. It plays two to four players. It has a BGG weight of 3.29. That's about right. Somewhere in the early threes. Um, 
Lorenzo de' Medici, also known as Lorenzo il Magnifico, Lorenzo the Magnificent, was one of the most powerful and enthusiastic patrons of the Italian Renaissance. In Lorenzo il Magnifico, each player takes the role of the head of a noble family in a city during the Italian Renaissance. Your goal is accumulating prestige and fame to gain more victory points than the others. To do so, send your family members to different areas of town where they can obtain many achievements. In one location, they get useful resources and another development cards which represent newly conquered territories, sponsored buildings, influenced characters, or encouraged ventures. Somewhere else they activate the effects of their cards family members are not identical at the beginning of each round you roll three dice to determine out of i'll explain the game okay <laughs> here's what's awesome about the game let me just quickly tell you about the theme of the game the theme of this game is one of the greatest games you've ever played that's it that's the theme it's an amazing mechanics i don't know what the theme is it doesn't matter i don't care oh come on it's, got it's one fine okay. it's fine i am a i play a family in italy during sure. during that period yeah. i have four, me- four family members <laughs> i have okay i have three family members that sure. are these three little little um cylinders uh-huh. and then i have a fourth family member that's a different color which <laughs> we all know what that means uh Jeez. that's my cousin okay uh and there are four towers that okay. are out there, right? One sure. of the towers is uh, is uh, people that are have have territories. Another yep. one has buildings. Another one has famous characters from the period, and another one has ventures that you go off and, mm-hmm. and do. And I'm going to send my minions out, and I am going to grab those things. I'm going to grab up territories because if I grab up territories, guess what? I can use those territories to generate wood or generate uh, metal or generate mm-hmm. money and or things like that. Uh, if I and if I grab enough territories, guess what? I'm going to get a lot of victory points for that because I'm going to be the biggest landowner mm-hmm. in in Italy, and so on and so forth. And each one of these categories has a a similar bent, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, let's talk quickly about the basic um, sure. mechanic of the game. So this is a worker placement game. You have four workers. Um, three of them are normal workers, and then one sort of special worker, which because is a neutral yes. worker, right? At the beginning of every round, this is a dice placement worker placement game, um, sort of in the realm of uh, Marco Polo. But what's amazing about this is it is a shared pool of three dice. So the first player rolls three dice, and those dice are everybody's dice for the whole round. So every one of your family members... White, black, and orange. Right. Every one of your family members has a symbol of a colored die on it. So when you place that family member... Whatever the color die on it is, whatever that die is. So if the orange die is a four, everybody's orange uh, family member is a four. And so you're all show. So if somebody rolls really badly, it's self balancing. Everybody has the same bad luck now. It's not like I roll my characters, you roll yours. We all have the same numbers that we're dealing with every round. And we're all facing the same difficult strategy choices. Right. And so you have a worker placement game. Um, typical in the sense that uh, once somebody goes there, it's blocked. But a, a nice thing that Thomas spoke about is there are four with the expansion, five towers. And when you go to a tower, you're buying a card and you're building your tableau. This is just classic tableau building. Um, and when I take a card, you can't have that card. That card's and gone. And when you come to the same tower, guess what? You have to pay money to come to the same three, tower. Once, somebody, once a tower has somebody in it, one of your own or somebody else's, it costs $3 to go there again. When, and your neutral character has some nice bonuses in that you can never go to the same tower twice. But your neutral character isn't the same color as you. So your neutral character can go there. Obviously, it still has to pay the three if somebody else has gone there, but that's the way that you could go to the same tower twice. Um, now, what do the dice mean? Well, the higher on the tower, the, the higher requirement of pips on the die. So to get to the top of the tower requires a seven. Well, how is that possible? There are only six-sided dice. Well, you can always spend workers in order to uh, 
to raise the number of your dice. So if little, I, little purple servants you have that work for you. Yes. Yeah, so if I if I have a one die, but I want to place it at the seven, that's fine. I just get rid of six workers and I can place my die there. It's a one-time little bonus. Workers are an extremely valuable resource, though. They're hard to come by. You need an engine to get them, um, but they make you very flexible. And a lot of cards also have another cost. They'll have a cost in the upper left-hand corner. In order to acquire this card, I have to spend five stone. Right. I have to spend three money. Uh, occasionally, I have to have to have a minimum of five shields, five yeah. defense, and then I have to spend three of them, things like that. All of these cards often have an instant bonus as well that you get. So when you get this, I'm going to get one faith or mm-hmm. I'm going to get two money or something along those lines. So you're building your tableau. And what's fun about this is it, it, it has a slight similarity in tapestry in terms of strategy. And like there are four tracks that you can focus on and you're going to need to focus on about two of them really well. And, and what's fun in me about this game is sitting down every time and trying something different. And there are so many different routes to victory in this game. And they're, they're all so well balanced. It feels really strong to go up any track um, and to start collecting cards in a certain thing. Because you're going to get a huge amount of end game points for having, a, you know, you have a max of six cards in each of the four different sections in the game. Yep. And so once you finally get to six in that, you unlock some pretty big stuff usually. Um, so you're, you're building this tableau. You're choosing sort of what routes you want to focus on. And at the same time, we have this fun faith track, which is a really cool uh, mechanic in the game that I've never seen in anything else before. So um, well, which we, what, what recently did we see that in? Actually, there was a game we were playing recently. And I was like, oh, this is just like that, where you have to ding a certain thing every round or else you get in trouble for it. It'll come to me. But there was a game we were just playing recently that has the same thing. Oh, Barrage. Barrage has this exact thing. We have to have a certain oh, yeah, amount. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to have yeah, a certain amount energy. of energy every round, and then it gets the requirements get higher every round. Yep. So you have to get faith, which is another resource in this game. Um, but you could also just totally ignore this. And what happens is there are going to be these three random era tiles that come out in every game. It's different every game. Another huge part of the randomness, in which it. is what the Pope is demanding right. of you. The Pope is going to demand things, and at the beginning of the game, you see what he's going to demand in the three different eras. Um, and there, there are uh, ramifications for not giving the Pope what he wants. So if you haven't expressed enough faith, which I'm imagining is probably just greasing the wheels a little bit, you know, giving some money to the Catholic Church. How dare you? <laughs> you then, took five years of Latin. Yeah, exactly. If you don't uh, hit the certain requirement in round one, it's three, round two, it's four, and round three, it is five. If you don't hit that requirement, you get a the opposite of a game-breaking power. You get a game-breaking negative that happens to you for the rest of the game. Like, you can never buy development cards. Or you can, you, every time you take um, workers, the servants, yeah. you can take a maximum of one. Yeah. Like <laughs> I mean, you just get like a huge game-breaking bad thing. But one of my favorite things in this game to do is to look at those things and decide which ones I'm not going to care about and just not worry about faith that age. Because guess what? If you play faith, when you um, when you avoid getting excommunicated, when you avoid right. taking these negatives, you go back down to zero faith and you start all over again. Right? Yeah. No. To start to to appease the Pope, you have to lose all your faith. You have to give it all to him, and you start at the track again. If instead you played a game where all you wanted to do was gain faith and never yep. lose it, you would have to endure those three right. punishments. But you know them in advance. You can look at them and go. Oh, I can win and also have those three negatives happen to me. And if you can, and you can get way high up on the faith track, I think there's a 30 ton points. Of points. A ton, a huge amount. Yeah, it'd, be, it'd probably be 25% of your whole score if you get all the way up there. Absolutely. Um, or you could ignore faith entirely. And by being able to ignore faith entirely, there. listen, you're always looking at the beginning of every round at 20 cards and four, five, six extra action spaces mm-hmm. that are lower on the, on the board. 
everybody is staring at those same things. Everybody, remember, has the same dice to work with. So we have the same relative advantages and disadvantages. If you know that I can ignore every card that is giving faith as a bonus, Mm -hmm. I have a huge advantage because I am now targeting things that other people have to forego for a little while to, to keep racing up the hamster wheel that is faith in the game. Yeah. Um, and I've played games where I've totally ignored faith. I've played games where I've been a good altar boy. I've played games where, you know, you strategically go, well, I'm not going to care about this last era and that's going to, you know, I'm going to get to race up there, which is totally viable strategy. Um, there's so many fun, like, and and one of the big things I'm going to get into in my, uh, my section today where I talk about my history with gaming is, is the concept of exploration Mm. and how that's the itch that I'm always looking to scratch in, in everything I do in all games, especially is I really want that feeling of exploration. And Lorenzo always gives me that. It always gives me this, I have this vast world of things I can try and explore. And every time I play, it feels like a totally different experience. Um, but it's not random because you're going to have eight cards in every tower in every era and those eight cards in every era are always going to be the same. The only randomness is the order they come out in, which is really fun because the more you play, the more you get to know the cards, you get to know what to expect, but the only randomness is where they're going to come out and what, what area, you know, are they going to, is it going to cost me a six, my best guy to get it or my worst guy to get it? And when is it going to come out the first half or the second half? And those are enough interesting variations and decisions that totally change the way you can build your engine. I would say that in comparison to the other games that we mentioned in this category, mm-hmm. when we talk about Great Western Trail or um, Marco, Polo. Marco Polo or things like that, I would say that this game probably plays a half hour shorter. Yeah. I think the, a two hour game. the explanation of the game is probably 10 minutes less yeah, or something totally. along those lines. Yeah. It feels clean. Mm-hmm. It feels like... You know, the first time I played it, it blew my mind just by how... It just felt like it had perfected. Like all the little edges had been sanded off of every part of medium weight games for me. And it's, it's probably less thematic. Yeah. I would say that's probably part the of the theme reason. of this game is perfect mechanics. <laughs> that is the theme, and it's a great theme if you can find it. It could be anything. I'm, I'm, I have three pieces, and I put them in one of four columns. But I still like it. I mean, like the, it's still it's all very intuitive. Like the concept of if you want to go up the colony track which means conquering different colonies, you better have a strong military because you're going to be spending your military to conquer it. So you have to go up the colony track to do that. If you want to get people to help you and they're going to give you really efficient actions and give you this great engine, you got to pay them cash. You better have money if you want to get people to help you. Um, you know, it's just, it, those things to me feel very thematic. They make sense. And then you also, you know, you have these, uh, one of my favorite parts of the game is these leaders. So leaders are cards you draft at the beginning of the game. So um, this is part card called sort of the expert variant, but I w- I've never played without it. Always I never play, would. Always play with drafting when you can. Yeah. So the leaders, no, I mean, just the leaders are an expert mechanic in the game. Or an expert oh, is that variant right? You can play without them yeah, at all? They're, they're, the, the leaders are always drafted, but there's a, the variant is that you just don't play. I mean, the variant is you play with them. Um, I, so I don't always, understand these people. Yeah. Always play with it. Well, it's just, it's, it's an overhead. So sure, sure, sure. leaders are, you're going to draft four of them at the beginning of the game. Everybody's going to end up with a hand of four. And these are giant game breaking powers. I mean, these are just or either, or just huge point dumps or huge resource dumps or just like some of them are small, but the thing is, is that they have requirements to right. be able to be played. Right. So one of every different type of card or four of a certain type of card, they're going to usually have combinations of cards. So you look at these and these are helping you guide your strategy. You need these cards. I've never seen somebody win without putting at least one, if not two or three of these down. Or sometimes have 10 faith yeah, or totally. have, have 15 bucks. So they take this sandbox of 
of, of victory points that you, you have so many ways of getting it and they totally guide you because the rewards at the end of, of completing these things are so huge. So you, at the beginning of the game, you just have this amazing fun, like, okay, here's my strategy. Here's what I'm going to do. Here's my thoughts. And then like, totally zigging and zagging throughout the game as, as, as people start taking the things you needed and you realize that you're racing for other people with things. The nice thing about these cards, though, is they always have a value. So even if you decide, well, I'm never going to achieve this, you can toss a card at any time to get this great little bonus action, which is like a little resources. It's or, called a favor. And essentially, yeah. the uh, right on the board, it says what a favor is worth. It's worth one faith. It's worth one shield. It's worth two this. It's yeah, worth two that. Stone or a, wood, bunch of different, yeah. a bunch of different things that all... Oftentimes in the game, you will look at it and say, I absolutely positively need two more wood to, yeah. do, to do the perfect turn for me. And so mm-hmm. I, I'm going to have to do something like that. Listen, Matt, I think, I think we've basically told people what they need to know about the base game, which yeah. is that if you have never played it, you must seek it out and you must play it. Well, it's, 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 it's as close to a lock for a, a game experience that you can have. And here's the thing. I think a lot of people pass it over because it looks like generic euro 101 and it does i mean there's nothing yeah. exceptional about it when you look at it it's Absolutely. from simon the only exceptional thing is if you know the designers then you go like well of course this is going to be great it's from simon it's it's called lorenzo magnifico i mean it just looks like your basic trading in the mediterranean you know boring theme there's a million of these oh and now simon's gonna have theirs how oh. good can that be it's about I, the medicis yeah oh, i think how, like so many fresh. people did that with the game and it just it just happens to be a perfect 10. It just happens to be everything I'm looking for in a board game. It really is. Like it's I my favorite games, while I love heavy games, like the games that really uh that I come back to forever and are always coming to my my favorite games of all time are usually medium weight games. And this is this is the best of them. Shall we talk about the expansion? Let's please. That's exactly what I was about to say. Let's talk about the expansion. Uh, Matt thinks that this is the perfect expansion. I, I'm going to give it a 9 out of 10. Yeah, you have one problem with it. And I don't thing. disagree with that. I don't disagree with okay. that. I, it's gotten better, actually, because... Okay, so the expansion is called Houses of Renaissance. Um, expansion offers a few main things. The first thing is there is now a fifth tower. And this fifth tower is sort of the potpourri tower. (laughs) Um, This is the first deck that has more cards than you'll see in a game. So at the beginning of this, every round, or at the beginning of the game, it has a deck of one, two, three. It has twice as many cards. 16 cards, so you're going to randomly get rid of eight. So this is the deck where you're not going to know what you're going to see every game. So there's a little bit of randomness there. But this deck has every type of card in it. So now what I mean by sudden, that is colors. Remember, right. one one track is one color, and the other one, and the other. Uh, this one has every kind of color, and you never know exactly what's going to come out. Right. So this throws off the amount that you can expect, and you'll always know the base amount. You're always going to have at least eight of each type, but now you might have twelve in a round of these certain of, of green cards or Which yellow is cards. Particularly amazing when you've played this game a lot, you start to be able to say, okay, well, I know these two cards haven't come out yet, so they're going to come out in the next round, and you can start to sort of plan around those things and at a certain point that advanced planning uh can feel a little rote the fifth tower changes all of that up in a really great way yeah fifth tower is great it it, there's and what one of my favorite things that a expansion does is no rules extra overhead yep this is just the same thing again that you've already you don't have to teach it it's it's just if you know how to use the other ones you know how to use this one 
And I would say that's the third best thing about this. Yeah, totally. Um, the next uh, big thing is, uh, well, I guess the two things you're talking about are these two, the bidding for resources yeah. well, and l- families. Let's, let's also say that it, it makes the game play five players, which yep. is a very important Which is massive. I mean, being able to play this game with five players is like a dream. And it doesn't, I don't think it adds much length to the game. No. And I don't think it uh, slows things down. Some groups, you know, three and four people are what they play with. For us, we're our numbers can often be nine. Yeah, we can often have nine or fives. ten, and five and, and a five player game becomes a godsend. Then, yeah. especially one that's good. So this is my favorite thing about it. So, and this is where you can see you can see the design team of these Italian geniuses, all who all work together, coming together and taking ideas from things they've used in the past. They added in the game-breaking powers from Marco Polo. My favorite thing about Marco Polo is when you're teaching the game and watching people who've never played it before as you explain to them the game-breaking powers that you are going to be choosing in reverse turn order. Because you've told them the whole game. You've told them the game, and now each single power you teach them sounds so broken, and then you tell the next one that that sounds so broken, and each one just is so fun because they're just wildly broken. And I like to tell them in that order, too. I I like to move my way up and eventually get to the guy that... Oh, every single one of your dice, you never have to roll them. Yeah, you don't roll they dice. They magically become whatever number you want them to be. <laughs> yeah. You know how you have to pay resources to go here? Yeah. You give them to him now. He, That guy, that player at the table gets all those resources. Like, it's just crazy. So they took that ridiculous game-breaking uh, uh, asymmetrical powers and they added it into this game, which is like taking my favorite dessert and putting it at the end of my favorite meal now. And the way you acquire these, the way it is decided which one you get. Like, by the way, could have just been magic. Could have just been reverse turn order. They, or they could or, have just or done could that. have been come up with come up with ten and everybody gets two or right. something like that. They it. came up with something that I've never seen in a board game before and is a mini game you play before the game starts. And you are bidding for these things. You are bidding for them, but what are you bidding? You're starting resources. So there are these tracks, and there is actually a little mini worker placement game you play before the game starts. There are all these tracks, and each track will randomly get attached to a different house. And under the tracks are a list of starting resources. And, and the bottom of the list is a lot, and at the top of the list is not very many. And so in, in, in player order, everybody takes one of their workers and places it on one spot underneath one house. So if I put something on the bottom spot, I am saying that if nobody bids higher than me, yeah. I am going to get this game-breaking power, and I'm going to get four wood and three stone yeah, like so and many one resources. shield and this right. and that the other thing. But guess what? Somebody's going to want that game-breaking power I have. So they're going to go one space above mine or maybe two right. spaces above mine, and suddenly they're saying, oh, I want that power, and in order yeah. to get that power, I'm willing to take just two stone and a wood. Yeah. And so anytime somebody places on the same tower as you, it becomes your turn again, and you must place somewhere else or higher on that same track. And so you get basically a self-balancing game of players deciding how valuable the game-breaking power is by betting on themselves that they can still win while starting with a handicap of like no starting resources. Whichever one, whichever game-breaking power this particular group on this particular day thinks is the best, yeah. the person who gets it is going to be really, really resource-drained at the yeah. beginning of the game. And that's, and that's what's really fun too, is like I've played it where we've had games where everybody has their own idea of what's super broken and you'll have somebody like throw their pawn in the middle of the track on one of them and nobody ever goes there and they're just like oh nobody thought that was good i thought that was crazy good like damn i could i could have had so many more starting resources nobody cared about that or you just set it at the right value and people go like okay that's about right you can i'll, I'll, I'll see how you do with that 
so combining your starting resources with your game-breaking power yeah. and having that be the decider it's is genius. Absolutely, brilliant. I would like to add that to Gaia to Gaia Project. How how is that not in almost every game? It should be in every asymmetrical game because you'll never have anybody ever on BGG saying that the powers are broken because you self-balancing it's self-balancing yeah if they're okay then that person starts with nothing and now it's not broken anymore good luck which by the way let's say that up until around 2000 or so um euro games almost all of them had auction mechanisms in them auction was a very very common thing and it was common for a reason it's because auctions are a self-balancing element if people are bidding on A versus B, uh, there was a game called Princess of the Rena- uh, Princess of Florence yeah. that was great for that. The gestures are better than every other piece. But guess what? You're bidding twelve hundred florin for them when you can get a park or you can get yeah. a lake for for three hundred or four hundred florin. It balances itself, so that's yeah. wonderful. And I mean, like, even just starting with a ton of opening resources is almost worth taking a crappy power with sometimes because it's it's such a huge advantage to have so many resources at the beginning of this game. Um, so yeah, and then the last thing uh, we'll talk about in the in expansion is the secret tokens, which is a new resource in the game, something you can get yes. as a favor. And yeah, I agree. Uh, Tom, Tom will tell you his thoughts on yeah. that. But look, uh, I, this is a well-oiled machine. This game is nigh perfect. And the secret tokens, when you get them in the game, and there are many ways to get them in the expansion, um, they give you, you look on the other side and you have a little ability. Like get you, can get, you can get something for them. But um, they're not all equal. They, Some are just Definitely, like, look, yeah. here's two. One says three workers, one says two. In this is a game of inches. This is a game where the difference between two and three workers can be vast. Yeah. And for it randomly to give you one instead of the other, to me is a little bit of a, 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 I wish the game didn't have that because it doesn't really have luck in that sense too much. And some of them, like these development cards that allow you to do a production at value three in one of your cards. Like, well, a crazy thing is that when this was released, they never, they never explained what these symbols mean. And for about a year, we, we, nobody knew what these meant. People had, there was forums that I was on on BGG and we were like, here's what I think. And we all like, we had a poll deciding what we agreed. Well, you and I, we, we looked at these, we bought this at Essen and yeah. we, we looked at it and we, were, we, we couldn't figure it out. No, but for a year afterwards, finally the designers recently released a fact that only came out with the new deck of cards, which we'll talk about in a second, the Paizo uh, expansion. Um, but yeah, for a long time, people had no idea what some of these even symbols meant on this. So it was hard to really gauge how strong or weak they were because we were kind of taking guesses at what any of them did. And and story is they're they're not broken because they're not wildly different, but they're different enough that it does a little bit tinge what is already a pretty perfect game. What I will say about them is that that along with these secret tokens, there are also... how would I put it? There are also a lot of different mechanisms whereby the secret tokens themselves are an economy. Mm-hmm. There totally. are there are leader cards that require them. Yeah, there so are sometimes you spend that, them without even getting the benefit. There are cards in the fifth tower that can come up that require them yep. to be spent. Mm-hmm. In that sense, I think it mitigates it because I think a lot of people are going to be hanging on to those yeah. tokens. So I'm spending them is often a mistake. Yes, exactly right. So so that that's the that's the caveat. Uh, not a big one. Uh, it's still absolutely amazing. So the last expansion, which uh, which only Tell came out, a I few don't months even know ago. about it. So this is the Paizo expansion. This was a stretch goal that was a part of the Lorenzo Il Magnifico digital game on Steam. So yes, there is a digital game on Steam. 
Uh, if you kickstarted it, you paid for it then. I believe I paid $12 for it or something. You can now get it on Steam. It plays Mac or PC. It's $14.99. It is a very faithful translation of the game and a very fun way you can play online. You can play with other people. You could also, it's a great way to learn the game. My only bummer is like a lot of these times and, and through the ages is, is an example of it, even though I think it's the best possible version of a digital board game where they, they don't just make it look like the board game. So it looks like a bunch of bill. You have to like learn the interface, and it's unfortunate. I, they're they're gussing it up. I think they think people will be bored by just looking at a board, but like you almost have to relearn the game because now I have to learn like what you're. You, there's just a, I know what I know how to play this game. Like, but even, when even I through the ages is a little bit. No, like through that, the ages right? takes some time. Yeah, through yeah. the ages is not is is like I I know how to play that game, but it took me a while to figure out how to play the video game. That's why I love Twilight Struggle. Yeah, it looks exactly like yeah. the game. So look, Lorenzo is there if you want to try it. I think it's a great way to give it a whirl. Actually, you'll definitely learn the game. Um, and uh, the AI is not bad, and playing against other players is pretty easy. Um, but anyway, when you supported that on Kickstarter, which I did because it's one of my favorite games of all time, um, you got a brand new deck of cards. Um, now, this is not a replacement deck of cards. You do not get rid of the cards and play with these instead. This is much like the fifth tower, wherein you mix these cards in with the decks and every game you get rid of eight and you play with half the deck. Oh, it's great. Um, it's great in a couple senses. Um, obviously, more cards is great. Um, I, I There's some talk about balance on them. I, I haven't played with them yet, so I don't know. Um, that's, also, that's the worry when it, when a game is so perfectly balanced yeah. already. That's well, a worry, right? And, but here's the main thing, though, that, that why I'm not like dying to throw them in is that a huge part of this game is knowing the cards and knowing what's going to come out, right? True. So if I'm building a strategy, especially in the era three cards, which are a lot about end game scoring, if I'm building a strategy, knowing, you know, part of this game is I know every card will come out. It's just about when it comes out. But now not knowing if a card's going to come out at all, I think could be a little dangerous. So there are a couple of, they actually suggest three variants in the rules for this. Um, the first one is uh, the future cards are visible. So at the beginning of the game, everybody gets to see what's going to be there. Now that, that that's and then it gets shuffled in when the third deck happens. No, well, yeah. So you 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 yeah, you don't know the order that every area is coming out, but before sure. the game, everybody gets to look at the decks, okay. and you all know what's coming throughout the whole game. That's a bit of overhead. Like let's all pass the decks around and like sort of memorize them. <laughs> but um, let, but let's realize that that if you are adapting one of these variants, it's because you are experienced in this game already, and yes. so so I don't think the the overhead is too much of a concern because it, the only reason you'd be doing this in the first place is I know all the cards in the game, and I don't want I right. don't want the new cards to mess up what I already know. Sure. The other one is just mix them in randomly and take eight out, and the last one is build your perfect deck which I think could be interesting. It'd be fun to look at it and be like, yeah. you know what, they, these cards, let, let's have a super strong deck, deck where every card feels super powerful. I think there'd be a kind of a fun version of that. Um, I think you can get this deck uh, through certain ways. I think it's going to be available at Spiel. There's ways to order it online, I believe, right now. Um, it's definitely not a must-buy. I do think the expansion is a must-buy. Um, Agreed. The game is $50.00. You know, on, on your OLGSs and the expansion's 40. So it's it's a, it's a big buy-in. Um, you are great with the vanilla game here. I could not recommend it higher. Play the vanilla game for a year. And then yeah. when you start to, to get a little tired, get the expansion but and it's it's a brand new game. All if, over again. If, if, if you already want to buy it and you're like, I got 90 bucks, I would buy both. <laughs> I think, I mean, it's just, it's so good. I mean, I don't know. It's, you're not going to, you won't have made a mistake. So Maddie. The question we have to come down to the is, juice is worth the squeeze. <laughs> <laughs> Tiny squeeze 
gallons of juice. All the juice. All, right. all the juice you'll ever need. I personally so, have a gorgeous insert for my game. Stop talking, I have stop talking. About I have uh, I have blinged it out as much as possible. I got this gorgeous set. I'll look up what it's. Uh, it's a, a Polish company that made this beautiful wood crafted set for all the cars. And they're in and they're in tiny little well, plastic them all, plastic yeah. sleeves. Well, of course, I've sleeved them. I'm not an animal. Uh, my cards are sitting in a greasy McDonald's, <laughs> McDonald's yeah, bag. Exactly. Loose, bent. Just uh, McDonald's can't, bag can't, sitting can't. at the bottom of, uh, of the box, which basically I put in the game shelf slash dumpster. It's horrible. It's a, it's a dual use yeah. device for me. Can't handle it. Uh, anyway, so as you can tell, sort of a so-so mixed review for yeah. Lorenzo Il Magnifico. Check it out. You absolutely must. Yeah. Last thing. Last thing. I just I I chose this game because if if somebody came up to me and was like, "You love board games. I can buy one." I'm, I'm telling you to buy this. I think it's fair. Yeah, because because it's middle because it's medium weight and almost anybody can access it. And I I, I think I would like to live in a world where this is considered the greatest medium weight game because I think it deserves that. I think it definitely should be in the top hundred. No question about it. And way way higher than that. All right. Well, listen, we are moving to our member-specific segment. Uh, this, mount, um, this month's theme, uh, this uh, round's theme, is old school. We're going to go back in time, and we're going to talk about how games have uh, affected our lives and moments uh, in our gaming history that are particularly meaningful to us. Maddie, what do you got for us? Um, yeah, I'll just give you a little background on, on, on my gaming world. So I am an only child. Um, I do have two half-sisters, but they, I did not live with them most of my life. So most of my childhood was spent alone with a single mother who worked full-time. And so uh, I had to spend a lot of time alone. And I got good at being alone. I was a big reader. Um, but I also I had two big passions. One was video games, and the other was Legos. So those are the two obsessions for probably 10 years of my life, probably from like four to like 14. Did you have like huge, huge Lego sets? Were you were you of the era when the Lego sets were just Lego pieces and you could do what you want with them? Right. So, and this is an important part of it. So, uh, board games have combined these two things for me. So, the video games to me were all about exploration. I, I really only liked adventure games and games where there was a story, but the story wasn't important to me. What was important to me was seeing more. I always wanted to see more. Like Zork and... No, like Legend of Zelda. Zelda, I was of obsessed course, with yes. Zelda. Um, I was obsessed with Dragon Quest and RPGs as well. But I, I really liked a game where I could just control a character. And see, I, I, beating a game to me was about like, I wanted to see it all. I wanted to see the world. It felt like traveling, like exploring to me. And Zelda captured that best, this feeling of like going out into a new world and, and seeing new things. Um, and Legos to me were about perfectly following the rules. I, <laughs> I was not a creative Lego builder. Um, I bought complicated high piece sets and would build them perfectly to the letter. And that was, that was my, that was nothing relaxed me more than just perfectly following the rules and building it exactly as they said it should be built. I loved that. Um, it was not, it was the opposite of creative task. It was controlled. And if I followed the rules, I would succeed. Now I joke with you about having OCD, but there's like a little bit of mm -hmm. a little bit of that. Do you think that that was a soothing mechanism for that 100%. little part of your well, brain? Well, it it, it it totally soothing for me in that it was. Uh, it, it, I, I like knowing a guaranteed end result. I like knowing if I put in this effort and focus, I will get exactly what's on the box. 
and you know, I, I had uh, my childhood was that's got to uh, be very comforting for a, for a little kid, right? Yeah, and, and my childhood was chaotic. I I had sure. a, a broken home and a difficult relationship with my father, and I was in therapy from a very young age, and so I had a lot of uh, a lot of troubles at home, and so that was very calming to me. Was uh, was was these controlled enjoying relaxing things and 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 yeah and then i would i just had a shelf of finished legos and i never played with them i never i just like <laughs> built them put them up there and i'd be like let's get the next one you are not to touch the legos yeah i, I mean i would arrange like playing them playing with them was to like move the guys around and create a cool scene that i could like look at you know dioramas yeah exactly there were dioramas to me yeah exactly well, that's and, nice. and that's there awesome. i could be like look at all the cool like I, you know the, the giant i remember for hanukkah one year i got the giant pirate ship which was probably like my mom probably couldn't eat that month or something, but like <laughs> we didn't have a lot of money. I mean, it was probably a hundred dollars at the time, which is probably equivalent to like four hundred dollars today or something. Um, so half of a Lego set now. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but it was like my my the the pinnacle of of the presents I've ever gotten in my life. Um, so to me, like that was always my gaming was, and and I got really into Gundam, like in my like late twenties, like I went to Japan dude, and I, I really enjoyed building Gundam. And that to me was like, when I found Gundam, I was like, Oh, it's Legos. This is just Legos. You would have lost your damn mind if you had gone with Matt uh, Patterson yeah. and Paul and I to the Gundam Museum and the, the, the massive Gundam shop I've in, always when we were in Tokyo. Well, when, I, when I was in Japan, I, that's when I became obsessed with Gundam. I went there in my late 20s. and like, How can you not be? Everything. Yeah. I came home and I was like, I build Gundam now. Like that's They uh, sell diapers with Gundams <laughs> yeah, now. Exactly. That, that's, it's crazy um, over there. But I had the exact same thing. It's like, these are hard to build. They take time. And if you really focus, it'll look as good as on the box. And I got into the painting and all that stuff. If you spend enough time with the glue amazing things happen. <laughs> and, but it was right after I found Gundam that I found board games. Um, and board games to me were the combination of my obsession with a relaxing activity that's involved, that involves following rules and getting an, an end result and exploration, which, I, which is what I have loved with video games. And I played video games my whole life. I've been a massive video game player. I had a horrible World of Warcraft addiction uh, for much of my 20s. Uh, and I, uh, to me, it was always exploration was my favorite part. I want to see every part of this giant, massive world and I want to explore everything. Like that was what I enjoyed. Well, that's so, the storyteller in you a little bit, right? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's funny. My relaxing activities are always, uh, about not being creative. I, I want to enjoy somebody else's world. And then I want to follow rules and know what the end result will be. <laughs> and both of those things are the opposite of writing. Like in writing, I have to create my own world and there's no rules and nobody to help me. And it's a blank page. Um, so like I've combined the two things are the opposite. Somebody else's world that they've created. I don't have to do any thinking. I just get to see their world and rules. And so I found Battlestar Galactica, which is my first board game I ever played. First modern board game. As a kid, I, I liked board games, but I not I wasn't obsessed. I played Battleship. I liked Monopoly. I went through phases where I played Monopoly and stuff. Sure. Um, but it was it wasn't a part. It wasn't defined by it at all. I played some chess with my dad. Um, I uh, yeah, but it, I, I I was not a board gamer. I was not a D and Dier. I was not. I was. The ranking of my lack of coolness was I was not cool enough to be invited to the D&D sessions. That's how not cool I was. That's how not cool you <laughs> yeah, were? I, like, literally, I, they invited me once and didn't invite me again. Like, I thought anybody could play D&D. Like, I wasn't even <laughs> cool enough for the D&D people. They were like, nah, that guy's a nerd. Show me on the doll where they, yeah, where they hurt you. Yeah, exactly. They hurt you bad. Um, it was hurtful, actually. I really wanted to play D&D with them. Um, but, uh, yeah, so... 
I found Battlestar Galactica, I think just through like internet one day, I was just like, I loved the show Battlestar Galactica. And they were like, here's a complicated game. And I was like, what? And I remember like reading the rule book and, and just having a life changing experience of just being like, oh, they've combined all my favorite things. Like this is a complicated thing that will take time to learn. But if you, if you put in the time and the effort, you will get the result that they're telling you you're going to get. And you'll you'll explore a world. And you'll explore and so those are the things that I look for in board games. And I'm, I've also not, wasn't a social kid. I didn't have a huge, I had, I had a, a handful of very close friends throughout my life, but I never had, I was never very social. I was very, uh, not, I wasn't antisocial, but I was shy and quiet and really liked being alone. I was a, I was a kid who spent most of my, my childhood alone and most of my teenage years alone too. Um, so board gaming was a huge part of like, this is how I, this is, I found, I think a part of it was I don't enjoy interacting with people the way most people enjoy it. I really don't like small talk. I really don't like parties. I like, I liked parties when I used to smoke weed and, and drink and like, <laughs> but I don't, I don't like. But you would medicate yourself before the kinda, event. Kind right? of, a little bit. bit. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I think I, I guess I have social anxiety, but it's not really anxiety as much as I just don't enjoy that way of interacting with people. I don't like just standing there and just interviewing each other. And that's what it feels like to me. As we say, extroverts draw their energy from contact yeah. with others. Introverts oh, draw their energy from time alone. Yeah. And you are Definitely. Oh. By that definition, oh, yeah. you are a classic introvert. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Oh, I, I, I need eight times as much time alone as with other people. In order we saw to you melt down at the end of those LARPs. Yeah. We, oh yeah, we, we knew it was, it was just much. like it's just it's too much, and, um, and we get that. But I love people, and I love being around people, and I think with board games, I found my favorite way to be with people, and I think that that's a profound change, life changing experience. Like I found, I got to do this thing I always did alone my whole life, which was building Legos and playing exploration video games. But now I get to do my favorite things with other people, and that is the that, now that's my favorite thing to do. I would much rather do that than be alone. You know, I would yeah. so board games. I that, and, and and honestly, when I first read the rule book for for uh, uh, Battlestar Galactica, it was like finding a new color I'd never seen before. I didn't know that I could get the things I love with other people at the same time. Oh yeah. Do you remember the first time you discovered boardgamegeek.com? Yeah, it was probably right it was probably right after I was introduced to you. Um and uh <laughs> and yeah, I mean, it blew my mind. I mean, I, I'm a very obsessive hobbyist. Like if I get into something, it's, sure. it's all scary. In. I'm oh. all in and it's life consuming and I'm listening to 13 podcasts about it. And, you know, I mean, it just it takes over my life. doesn't matter what it is. I'm, I it's, dive all the way in. But it's pretty rare. You know, as writers, we do a lot of research. We do a lot of study. We, we know a lot of things about a lot of things. Yeah. We tend to be garbage cans of useless information yeah. in a wide variety of areas. When I discovered Board Game Geek, and I'm like, what the heck are all of these? Th I don't know what these things are. I've never heard of any of these games. Yeah. And there's a huge community, and people are writing reviews and session reports about them. And mm -hmm. I, I, was, I was absolutely blown away. It's like I had found a key to a nocturnal world that I, I didn't know existed. It was like yeah. literally finding Narnia. Totally. Um, no, board gaming has changed my life in a really positive way. It's, it's really helped me understand how I interact with people. And I think it's important to interact with people in the way that you want to interact with them. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Listen, there's, there were, there's a lot of studies that have been done lately on happiness and loneliness and, and issues like that. And they found some interesting things. They found out that uh, male loneliness is an epidemic in the United States, that, that um, women have uh, much better 
social um, networking than men do for the most part. Men have uh, a uh, there are there are gaps in it, right? We're we're good in some ways, but we're not. Is good this in the plotline of Joker? <laughs> <laughs> what they Spoilers, found? Please. I'm just gonna no. What I'm gonna say though is that they, listen, when you talk about why are why are all the lone shooters males? Why is that? Why is that the way things go? And I think that I, I don't. I'm not gonna simplify it and say that that's it. But I do think that uh, alienation. Is a uh, is a phenomenon that that males in our society uh, are hit extra hard by. Yeah, um, and well, it's, I think it's just it, it has a lot to do with the lack of access to emotions. Yeah, no, uh, emotional access, but also just just people access yeah. in in general. And, uh, you know, much the same way that uh, exercise physiologists have been studying and saying, how much exercise do you really need, mm-hmm. right? And they figured out, okay, this is, this is probably a really good limit to say, that if you do at least this much, you are going to be, you're, you're, you've moved from a danger zone into a good zone. Mm-hmm. They found that for men, that face-to-face time with men, that, with, with people that you like, yeah. twice a week, mm for a minimum of, I have two of, game nights. of I did one it. to two hours is is the they they call it the magic pill it's the magic pill that that keeps us uh that keeps us happy that keeps us connected yeah uh and i really do think that mm. that's one of the things that's one of the reasons that board gaming for me and uh, and it sounds like for you as well is such an important hobby because it's it's tough to be connected. We, we live in a world where we're, especially in Los Angeles, we're in our cars, we're, we're isolated, we're yeah. in our homes, we're on the, we're on the internet and you know, it's, it's just tough out there. Yeah. Man. Um, just a 30 seconds to bring it full circle. Uh, not long after I played Battlestar Galactic, I think the second board game I ever oh, played no. was Indonesia. Yeah. Uh, which I was not ready for in any way and I, didn't enjoy at the time. I didn't ramp you up correctly. I apologize. Uh, we went that. from from that to Indonesia, um, but it would no. I think it it was interesting in that it um, it all came first full circle eventually because just this year I purchased my own copy of Indonesia after ten years in the hobby because I really wanted it and it was out of print and I really remembered our playing of it and really wanted to try it again and we played it again this week and I thoroughly enjoyed. It. I mean, it's it kicked my butt um, and I can't wait to play it again. Um, but yeah, I think it's uh, uh, I, I, it all felt like it came full circle this week, and so it was, it was interesting to talk about sort of my history with board games because um, you know my second board game I ever played was Indonesia, and then this week we brought it to the table, my own copy of it now, ten years later, and and we played it together. If I didn't get into games, and I'll, listen, I'll give you a super quick version of of my own. Um, yeah, uh, my father was a. Uh, a partner in a Manhattan accounting firm, one of the big eight accounting firms. And that would mean that at 5.30 in the morning, he would get on the train to Manhattan. And for half of the year, which were, you know, the corporate taxis and all that sort of stuff, uh, he would come home at nine o'clock at night. So I would see him on weekends, but not so much during the weekdays. Right. And uh, my poor sainted mother, she had three boys on her hands. I was the oldest and there were two others. And she had to figure out how am I going to keep this circus from falling completely apart and she came up with game night we would do board games oh, wow. and we would do oh wow religiously you've like got a great origin story every week <laughs> <laughs> every week we would play a, a a game and we would play um you know we play monopoly and and things like that and sorry and things yeah. like that but the games that i remember the most were games like pit which is a trading game yeah, yeah. Where we're i know it from the, freaks and geeks there's a whole episode <laughs> where that where uh 
Gabe Flaherty's trying to get the family to play. Just, you know, when my dad's finally home and we're playing this this game where he is yelling that he wants two corn and I have two corn and I'm not going to give it to him. And, and it, you know, it, it was just, it was really the perfect uh, way for us to have a little family togetherness, right? We weren't always going to be able to sit down for a meal. We weren't always going to be able to do these sort of things, but we could always play a game. And for three boys who have competitiveness issues and, you know, there's always that fight for dominance, you know, the testosterone when you're a teenager it happens. It was a way for us to model that in, in a kind of cool way. Yeah. And when I got Gave to, rules for it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I would say that over the course of my life, when I got to high school, I didn't really have a lot of friends, uh, kind of like you. I didn't really have a lot of friends in my in my younger years. And in high school, something just clicked. Like freshman year in high school, I, I went to Christian Brothers Academy, an all-Catholic, all-boys uh, school where mm-hmm. you had to wear a tie and a jacket every day. Yep. And I just met, you, you know Andrew, you know mm-hmm. Jim. Mm-hmm. They, they were friends of mine that I met on the very first day of high school. Right. And we, and I just, I sort of found my people. And I also, I think, I think I found myself a, a little bit. Yeah. And games was a way that we could spend a lot of time together, just getting to know each other and laughing and enjoying ourselves. Yeah. And um, I'm not sure that I would still be friends with Jim or with Andrew if it wasn't for that. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I would even know you. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, we wouldn't. If it, if it wasn't for this. 100%. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, our, we have the same manager, and my manager was like, ugh, because I was trying to get him to play with me. And he was like, I don't want to play this crap. I know someone who probably does. He's like, let me get this guy off my schedule. <laughs> <laughs> he keeps calling me, trying to set up times to play Battlestar Galactica. Uh, you know, I, listen, in, in, a, in an increase. I don't know how he even knew that you liked board games. Oh, I, I, t- I, tell, him every, I tell him everything. Were I tell you him all you tried to stuff. get him in? Um, I'm not sure if I, I, I think I, I picked up on the social cues that, that probably gives off that <laughs> he he's probably sports. not the best, probably yeah. not the best for this. Um, oh, you know, we had talked about fantasy football and all that sort of stuff. Oh, and okay. I said, oh, I'm big into all kinds of games. He's okay. like, oh, like, and he thought video games and I yeah, said, yeah, no, yeah. no, no, you don't understand. No, he doesn't. And he still doesn't. He doesn't care. He still doesn't. Anyway, um, Matt, thanks so much for for sharing yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, it was great. I absolutely love that. And uh, it's my last episode. <laughs> all this for a little bit, for a little bit, uh, for this uh, for this series. I, I think it's a really great time to just sort of get down to why we game in the first place, and and that, I Agreed. think that's a lot of what we talk about. Thanks, Tom. I think we have just about enough time for a game sommelier or two, and for that we have a song. Sometimes a player just got to know. Which game should stay? Which game should go? Which to play with mama, madame, abou? You got to tell me, monsieur, just what to do. Want to make an impression, but I can't get far. As my 50th player of Agricola. A million games. Show me the way to the master. The game sommelier. Oh, yeah. Is Brian Donnelly your brother? Brian Donnelly is my brother. Just checking. I've gotten two from him. Is that right? You yeah. said too? Mm-hmm. Well, we're going we're gonna to deal with the first one. We're going right. to deal with the... Uh, Hi, Matt. Absolutely loving the podcast. I have a question for the Game Sommelier. Our family of six... My brother's Mormon. No, he's not Mormon. <laughs> uh, my family of six... Uh, Christian okay. scientist. No. He has five girls, and then he finally got the boy, and they could stop. Wow. Uh, our family of six is split evenly between those who enjoy cooperative games and those who prefer competitive games. Uh, so far, the only game everyone is always excited to play is Mysterium. 
While it is primarily a cooperative game, the vote scoring system gives competitive players something they can get into. Mm -hmm. Do you have any recommendations for similar co-op competitive games? Any recommendations that are family-friendly and support higher player counts would be especially appreciated. Thanks, Brian Donnelly. Brian? I love you, man. I, I, every Thanksgiving, we go up and we, we, we stay with them and we hang out with them. Every, and every time I bring up a duffel bag full of new games. Oh, that's awesome. And their kids are way into it. Oh, they are so, cool. so all about it. Um, Allison, his, his second oldest, is a Santorini fiend. She will, she will destroy you in sure. that. Uh, his oldest, Sarah, she's a real gamer. I mean, there is not a game that she will not play. She's yeah. way into it. So uh, they're really, really great. What do you got? I got some suggestions. Do you have anything that you can... Yeah, think I think your uh, your hidden uh, movement uh, suggestions are good. I, I would add in my favorite hidden movement game, which is um, Hunt for the Ring, which I just like. Sure, I just sure. Like my Lord sure, of the sure, Rings sure. skin. But I, I think it's actually really interesting what they did with it too. So um, when we're talking about uh, something that's cooperative and competitive, uh, the team game is mm -hmm. the, is the, the one dynamic, versus the, many, the dynamic you're going for or the several versus several. Yeah. Those are the ones where you're both working together and you're trying to beat somebody. Yeah. Those are the ones that are great. Uh, so Scotland Yard, I think is the first one of those. It's a Milton Bradley or Parker Brothers game, mm -hmm. and uh, Milton Bradley, I believe. Uh, there are other versions of it uh, that have taken it and gone farther. Fury of Dracula, Letters from Whitechapel, but for your family and the kids at, at the ages that they're at, um, I think Scotland Yard probably is the theme and the tone that is the most uh, vanilla and, and yeah. non-objectionable. And it's a wonderful game. It's, it's really great. One person will get to play Mr. X. And Mr. X has performed some crime. We don't even know what the crime is. <laughs> but they are, are going to start on one space on this map of London. And then they are going to try to escape. And all the other players know is they know whether or not they took a bus or they took a subway or they took a cab. That's what they're going to know. Yeah. And every once in a while, Mr. X has to reveal where he is, and then he moves. Mm -hmm. So you are trying to track down where he is and try to, the other, it can be up to five players, and the other four are the detectives, and you're trying to surround him and eventually land on the spot where he is. And if you ever land on the spot where Mr. X is, you've captured him. Yeah. Wonderful. Absolutely fantastic game. Totally in, in, fitting with what you're talking about. I will also mention a game that we cannot play, sadly, in our game night. Captain Sonar. Yes. Captain Sonar is multiplayer. You need eight, though. Uh, no, six works. Oh, does it? Okay. Oh, I guess yeah. it does. Somebody has to double up, yeah. 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 I, I think you double up engineer and first mate or something along those lines. Yeah, yeah. something like that. Yeah. Um, basically, when we talk about Captain Sonar, we're talking about battleship as a team game yeah you four people on each side four yeah. people on each side a big uh like dm screen between the two mm -hmm. one person is the captain and the captain is the one who is calling out the orders and telling uh, other people what to do um he is telling you which way to go and he's tracking where your sub is is going to be Next person is the engineer, and the engineer is making sure that all the systems of the ship work. And guess what? The ship, the ship is going to break down and need repair or need this or need that. Each direction that the ship goes in is going to help fix certain things. So he yep. will tell the captain, I need to do this or I need to do that. My favorite role in this is, is Cans, the radio guy. Mm -hmm. The radio guy is listening to the, oppos of the opposing captain yep. 
and what he's calling out. And he is plotting and he is plotting on a little piece of clear yeah. like um Because you have to say everything out loud in this game. You yes. can't you can't whisper and you can't you're like so one person's job is just to listen to what the other team is saying. And what you're doing is is you're creating a tracking plot for what the other sub is doing and it's on a little clear plastic sheet that you can move around the map that you know is the map and you can mm -hmm. say he couldn't possibly have started here because he crossed land now and he couldn't cross land right. and you're trying to figure out the location of the sub and you have think you can tell the captain i think he's in b7 b17 and the captain's like, we're within range of B-17. Fire torpedoes, firing torpedoes into B-17. And the other team has to say whether or not they're hit. Ah, absolutely phenomenal game. Uh, a lot of cooperation, a lot of competition. I yep. think you guys might absolutely love it. Super good. Um, and then uh, I'll just say one other one. Shadows Over Camelot, when they get a little bit older, is a great game with that has the hidden traitor uh, mechanic. It's mm. a little simpler than Battlestar Galactica, but mm. it works well for that. And then there's a game called Flick 'em Up. Flick 'em Up is a dexterity game uh, that is fun as heck in the Wild West. It's got a cool train. Yeah, it's got a it's got a, a cool train, a lot of cool little things. But it is one of those games where you're going to work. You know, sometimes it's going to be the deputies versus the bandits. So people will be working together, and then sometimes working against each other. Yep. Uh, last one we're going to do is Willoughby M. Is that Willoughby M or M Willoughby? Uh, long time listener, first time sommelier. Uh, my game group just opened Risk Legacy, and we enjoyed the scorched earth aspect of making permanent changes to the board and permanent rule changes. What would the next big classic game to get a legacy rework? What would it? What should it be? Post-apocalyptic Monopoly. That's funny. I like that. That's funny. Um, I, I, the serious answer is that just this year, uh, Robinson Crusoe: Adventures on a Cursed Island, which is a a pretty good storytelling game. Yeah, it's uh, a good solo game. I, that's how I would play it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, though you can play it uh, multiplayer, and it's not the worst thing in the mm -hmm. world. Uh, it came up with Mystery Tales, which is kind of like a Cthulhu-esque uh, legacy add-on to the game, which mm -hmm. is uh, kind of interesting. If you had a classic game that you wanted to make a legacy game, what would you do? Um, well, that's sort of the problem with legacy games. That I don't think I care about them anymore <laughs> in the fact that it doesn't fit with my game night. Um, we don't, we're never going to play the same game eight times in a row. Um, and we're never gonna have the same people every week. So it's really tricky to play. It's a good point to play a legacy game for us. Um, nobody yeah. wants to play the same game every week and we're, and we're never going to play with the, like we have, if we have eight people in our group, I'm not going to play with the same four people and not play with the other four people for eight weeks in a row. I will say for my birthday, you got me betrayal legacy. Yeah. Every time I look at it, I have this pang. People of, love it. Of, people of say it's guilt. great. I want to play that, and we're going to have to find a time to do that. But what we're going to have to do is it's going to have to be a non-game night when we just That's get together for a little bit. It's tough. I See, to me, legacy games are pretty much solo games at this point. I mean, that, Gloomhaven to me is best as a solo game. I know Jesse disagrees, but you know, to me, that's how you play it because you can just play it by yourself and you, you know you're going to always be there <laughs> to play it again, you know? Um, All, right. All right, Willoughby, I'll give you the serious answer, though. Candyland Legacy. Yeah. All right? You got the molasses swamp becomes a super fun site. The kids are dying in there. You put the little pawns in there. Little by little, you're developing diabetes. I think that's the answer. I think that's the game. I'd be interested in trying like one of our favorite middleweight euros as a legacy, but um, only if at the end result, it's still a great game. 
Yeah, you know? yeah. No, it, it, that, that's exactly right. Like, don't sacrifice what it is for a, a legacy aspect. Look, I, I think Pandemic Legacy is a phenomenal game. It's, and a, it's, it's a TV show in a box. It is. It's, it's, it's amazing. A it's, it's absolutely wonderful. I don't think anything has, has come even close to what that is. Well, lots of things have come close to it, just nobody's added to it, really. It feels like, sure. uh, okay, we saw everything that has to offer there, maybe. Yeah. I'm excited uh, to see. Look, if somebody says there's a great new one, you know I'm Well, we, we thought, a few, we it, thought but, three years ago, we thought that, oh, this is the next big thing. Everything's going to be doing that. And a lot of things tried and none of them hit the mark. Yeah. And I think a lot of it has to do with people's schedules. It's really hard to find the same people to play with enough times to finish it. All right. Well, uh, Matt, thank you so much for being for first time guest and yeah. for being the guest for my first time host. You made it easy for me. Um, good luck. I'll give you a few pieces of advice. Uh, <laughs> Please do. Jesse requires you to massage his neck the entire time that you're doing it. I know nobody knows this, but I'm literally giving him a neck massage during every episode. Sure, of course. Uh, Dimitri uh, needs a lot of editing afterwards. I mean, put aside a weekend. To really just his, every episode I recorded with him was was, was over it, was eight it, hours long. I, I thought, cut them down to two. Yeah, you said the you said the last episode that you guys were you made a little tent in your in your yep, office. We did. Uh, Jake is uh, really abusive and and really mean. Um, and so on camera, I mean on mic, he's a sweetheart. He seems really nice, but the minute that camera's off, he is berating you. He is calling you names. I mean, he's really he's gaslighting you. I mean, he's 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 abusive. I showed you the scar that yeah, he gave me. He's a so horrible person. It's, it's a it's a known thing, and that's that's a big cigar. Yeah, yeah, that was horrible. And uh, Trey curses constantly, and so have that beep it's button true. ready. It's true, it's it's a lot. But Paul, sweetheart, he is like yeah. seems sweetest, like a jerk on the mic, but the mics come off, and he. Guy, he, you realize he was knitting you a sweater throughout the whole episode, right? I know, I yeah. know. I mean, and not even for you. He was yeah. he was donating it for to, sick children to the Bhutanese orphans. Yeah, in your name, though, in you your get name. all the credit. In what a guy, your name, uh, guys. We have a YouTube channel I want to tell you about. YouTube.com. Oh, I'm really excited to see how you do this, this out sting. I'm We're going to see. We're going to see what you do. do. First try. Know. Good luck. I don't know. Uh, the YouTube channel is YouTube.com forward slash C forward slash Game Brain Pod. As always, we have a Facebook group. Look us up. Game Brain. Uh, we have t-shirts that are about to be ordered. If you want to get a t-shirt, I don't know if you're going to be too late for the order, but you might go on Facebook. We're getting a few extras, right? We're going to do our best. We're going to do our best. We're not going to get a ton of extras though, because we don't have storage space or, or money for, to buy many, many yeah. more things. And please, please, please get us some more game sommelier questions. Uh, the place to get, to get them to for this week is Matthew at gamebrainpod.com. Eventually we're probably going to get Tom. I might just do it like a sommelier at gamebrain pod. We'll sure. That, that sounds good. But for right now, Matthew at gamebrainpod.com. Uh, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> ah, so close. You've been listening to Game Brain, produced and edited by Matthew Robinson and Tom Donnelly. Special thanks to Daedalus for our incredible music. You might know him as Alfred on the show, or at least he used to be. More on Daedalus at Spotify. You can certainly find him. <laughs> and you can reach us by email at Matthew at GameBrainPod.com or on Twitter at GameBrain underscore pod. Thanks for listening. Go play some games with friends or go make some friends with games. <laughs>